we are on air for Banter Racing's NASCAR Weekend Preview. And tonight we're previewing both Talladega and the Springfield Mile. So joining me as co-host for tonight is Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Well, thank you, Sharon. And uh, always excited when we get to talk about dirt, but that might not be the case come hot topics. We'll get to that later tonight. (laughs) Yes, we will. There'll be a lot to talk about for sure. Uh, And actually, during our first half hour, we are going to talk about the ARCA East and the ARCA West. They are not racing this weekend, but we will let you know when their next races are going to be and uh, give you a few updates on both of those series. Then we will preview the Arkham Menard series at the Springfield Mile this Sunday. Uh, so that's going to be an exciting race. It's getting closer and closer to the end of their full season, and we'll be determining who the next champion is going to be in the Arkham Menard series. At 9 o'clock during the second half hour, we will start. We will do the uh, NASCAR Truck Series preview at uh, Talladega, which is always a wild card. Uh, at 9:20, we get into the NASCAR Xfinity Series preview, and at 9:40, it's the NASCAR Cup Series preview. Both of those races are at Talladega Super Speedway. So another big weekend uh, for NASCAR. 10 o'clock is our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off with our Bamper Racing crew, and I'm pretty sure we're going to have uh, quite a few topics to cover tonight, Jay. Uh, We most certainly are. Uh, I know the schedule coming out, we already (laughs) knew about that kind of on Monday. Already talked a little bit about it, but things are official now, so that kind of changes the way we go about it. Uh, I'm sure we'll have some more input on that from the crew here at Fan for Racing. Yes, indeed. Uh, let's go ahead and get into the Arkham Menard Series East. Their next race is going to be the Pensacola 200, presented by Inspectra Thermal Solutions. <clears throat> they are not racing this weekend, but next weekend on October the 10th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, they'll be racing the uh, Five Flag Speedway. Uh, that race uh, coverage, if you're a member of track pass. I think you'll be able to watch that on track pass, uh, but there's always the delayed broadcast on NBC sports network as well. So uh, let's cover the points there. Uh, Stan. <laughs> Jay. We have a new member to fan for racing of Stan. Okay. <laughs> um, look forward to meeting and working with him. So the Arkham Menards East Series standings uh, at the top with good reason. Five races, four wins, five top fives is Sam Mayer. Uh, Ty Gibbs having a heck of a season with one win in those five races, four top fives. He's 26 back. Uh, That just tells you the season Sam Mayer is having. Unbelievable. Uh, Nick Sanchez, Mason Diaz, and Parker Retzlaff, your top five, and they are 61, 62, and 64 points back, respectively there. So a good battle there. And then six on back there, a little bit further, you got Chase Cabre and Justin Carroll at minus 73 and minus 77, right there with the top five, a little bit back, and they have their own battle. And then we got Max McLaughlin, Taylor Gray, and Brett Holmes rounding out the top ten, but they only have four, four, and three starts. 
So they're 137, 138, and 167 back. Right. Now, this series uh, has, they only have five races in the book so far. So another five races to go. I believe they're going to get 10 races in this year. We will have to uh, keep an eye on that uh, as the season progresses. Okay. Uh, Next up, we do have the West series to cover here. And uh, before we get into that, you know, Gracie Trotter made history last week as a race winner uh, in the Arkham Menard Series West out at Las Vegas. Uh, we do have some audio from her, uh, and I'd like to play that if, uh, if we have a few minutes here. So uh, let me put Gracie Trotter on so you can hear what she has to say here. We'll hear her opening comments. Gracie, welcome to our, our weekly driver media availability. Um, I, I, the first question I have is it, very, very simple. What has your week been like this week? It has to have been crazy. Crazy, yeah. I think I've done more interviews this week than I ever have since I've been racing, started racing go-karts. <laughs> but awesome. I keep complaining about it, so it's, it's not a bad problem to have. <laughs> not a bad problem to have at all. I, just to remind everybody who may not have heard this story of you and I, I talked to you earlier this season. I said, you're the most easygoing, just mild-mannered, just just nicest young lady in the world. And then you strap in behind the wheel of this race car, and it's like you're a totally different person. You absolutely were just, like, in the zone on Saturday going for the win. What was it like when you saw those two drivers in front of you kind of drift up the racetrack and leave that, that lane open for you? What, what was going through your mind? Oh, I knew it was my chance to go, and even my spotter was yelling at me on the radio saying, go, 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 make it work, so um, that's what I did, and in my mind, I was like, those two will just figure it out. <laughs> I'll just, just make it work, and uh, start in the next corner, and um, hold my line, and just let those two figure it out, so I knew I was going to make it work. I knew the car was good enough to win that race, so from then on out, that pass I made there, I knew we were going to win. Okay, that was Gracie Trotter after making history in the Arkham Menard Series as the first woman to win in that series. And uh, it's good uh, to kind of hear from her and some of her thoughts uh, coming to that finish line, Jay. And and that's one of those of, uh, you know, we talk about it of it is a minority when it comes to females in racing. But when you put a helmet on, you become a driver. And, and that's the biggest thing that I think people exactly. don't realize or really understand. Uh, yes, there is some, again, strength and conditioning when it comes to handling a car. But the ones we have seen come through obviously don't have an issue with that. Mixing it up and there being a smart driver, uh, knowing that th- that her, that was her chance and how to capitalize on it and doing so. So I think that was, uh, again, from a driver perspective. And that's what the, the main issue is. Is, is being a driver, uh, you know, like I said, once you put the helmet on, none of the rest of that matters. It's being a driver, and I thought she did an excellent job with that and knowing that, how to go about it. Exactly right. She kind of had it in her mind, uh, and, and like uh, Charlie Crawl was saying there, she was just very focused, and she w- she knew what she needed to do, and she made it her business to do it and let the others figure out what they need to figure out. But she she had a clear vision of what she needed to do. 
Now, the next race for the Arkham Menard Series West is going to be October the 23rd. That's at, they have the Pacific time listed here at 6.45 p.m., which is going to be 9.45 Eastern. That's going to be at All-American Speedway in Roseville, California, and fans will be able to stream that live on the NBC Gold Track Pass. Uh, so if you're not a member there yet, make sure you go and sign up uh, for Track Pass on NBC Gold so you can watch this race. I believe uh, this is the next to the last race before they close out their season at Phoenix. Well, I know they got eight in already, and again, as we, we, we're watching to see, again, the, the goal is 10 for the East and the West, I believe. Uh, whether or not that happens, uh, NASCAR's done a phenomenal job, as well as Arkham Menards, working with their, all the states and getting in X number of races. They may not have been all been as scheduled, but at least trying to provide what was promised at the beginning of the season as far as number of races and drivers making the best of it. So I got to applaud them as a sanctioning body as we have every week that they've had to endure this. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Everybody's really made the most of a difficult time and uh, they're doing everything they possibly can do to get all of these races in. And in a condensed period of time, uh, they are getting that job done. Now, next up, we're going to talk about the uh, Arkham Menard Series race that's taking place out at Springfield, Illinois, on the fairgrounds uh, track out here. And uh, there's a huge battle uh, between first and second place in the Arkham Menard Series between Michael Self and Brett Holmes. The last few weeks, that top Spot has gone back and forth between those two drivers, and I believe right now, Jay, there's just one point that is separating them. Now, I want to give the details of uh, this particular race, so give me a minute while I pull that up uh, and uh, provide those details for everybody. Uh, the name of the race is the Illinois Truck and Equipment Allen Crow 100. Uh, again, at the Springfield Mile at the Illinois State Fairgrounds in Springfield, Illinois. That race will take place Sunday, October the 4th at 2 p.m. Central, so that would be 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, it will be televised on MAP TV and is available on Track Pass for NBC Gold members at 2 p.m. Central Time. That's 3 p.m. Eastern. It's a one-mile clay oval. We've been there, Jay. Uh, it's a great track, and uh, a lot's on the line for these guys. Uh, they are going to have a practice at 10 to 10.30 p.m. The general tire pole qualifying takes place at 11.30 a.m., and then the race, as we mentioned, at 3 p.m. Eastern. So uh, a lot on the line here for especially those two drivers, Jay. Well, unfortunately, i got to correct you on two things, Sharon. We have not been there because I have not. That is one that I would love oh. to go to. I know it's in, in your home area. <laughs> yeah. uh, I know you've gotten to go. I have not as of yet. And the oh, other thing there is the point. Maybe it was Stan that went with you. Um, <laughs> the other the other thing is you were talking about the points battle. The one point difference was a couple of weeks ago. We're talking about a whole different ball game because it's now double that. It is two points, but it is now oh, Brett boy. Holmes that is back on top. Uh, again, yeah. it had gone from one up for Michael Self, 
three up for uh, three or seven up for Holmes. Then it went back to Michael Self at, a, I believe, as far as 13. And now Brett Holmes is back up by two. I mean, that's what we're talking about this week in and week out. They have battled back and forth yeah. all year. So it's fitting that before the Arkham Menard Series Championship gets decided, which will be at the high speeds of Kansas Speedway, this weekend they're going to take the title, feet, uh, title fight to the dirt. And the pendulant race of the season, again, will be at that Springfield Mile at the Illinois State Fairgrounds for that Illinois Truck and Equipment Crow 100, Allen Crow 100. Okay. Well, they haven't raced uh, during the Illinois State Fair this season. That's their usual time for this race. The event has been given the green light to allow grandstand ticket sales, uh, although it will be limited to 20% capacity in order to promote an environment that will allow for proper social distancing. So uh, not the usual time for the, uh, the Springfield Mile, but uh, that's okay. We're, we're happy to have the race there. The last two races have shown just how important every last point is in the race between Michael Self and Brett Holmes. Yeah, and again, Self stole the point at Winchester at Indiana when he managed to lead a lap, the only one of the 200 Ty Gibbs didn't lead. Holmes, though, won up him at Memphis International Speed or International Raceway, sorry, when he led the most laps for the two bonus points in route to his third place finish. Now, Self saw a couple of positions slip away in the last lap scramble with Chandler Smith, Thad Moffat, and Haley Deegan, if you haven't seen that. And that's what sets us up to this weekend with Holmes in that two-point advantage. That's right. Now, Self did lead 47 laps in winning last year in his first start on the Springfield Mile. I remember that race because he wasn't sure how well he would do on dirt. Uh, Holmes, who has a dirt racing background, actually came in third and has two top tens in three races at Springfield. It's been seven years since the driver, other than Gibbs, Sam Mayer, I'm sorry, seven races, I think I said years, since a driver other than Gibbs, Sam Mayer went to victory lane. The latter isn't entered this weekend, so while Gibbs finished fifth of last year, it may be the other Monster Energy back driver, Haley Deegan, who might take a turn as a winner this time around, Jay. Yeah, the 19-year-old from California won the West Series at the dirt track at Las Vegas Motor Speedway last year after winning the pole and finishing second at the track to the 2018 Arkham Menard Series champion, Sheldon Creed, the year before. But something else to look at, and I saw this on the entry list, local favorite Ryan Unzicker is going to return to the number 25 RJR Transportation Hummingbird Winery for Bill Hendrick. The 39-year-old from El Paso, Illinois, has 19 career series starts, all at Springfield or DeCoin, and finished third at Springfield in 2016 and fifth there in 2018. He's a local dirt track racer. That's why I got excited about him. So see how that goes for Ryan Unzicker. And and trust me, he's a favorite out there. When he races, he's got a group of people who are following him and cheering for him all the way. Now, the race is also the fourth of the CGS Imaging Four Crown Series, which consists of Michigan International Speedway, uh, Daytona's Road Course, Memphis Short Track, and Springfield's Dirt Track. 
Now, South leads the four-crown series, while Holmes is the defending champion on that front. So there's another battle that's going to be taking place uh, this Sunday out there in Springfield. All right, and I'll slide down to kick us off here with the crew chief handout. Uh, the starting field for this Illinois Truck and Equipment Allen Crow 100 is limited to 36, which I believe the entry list has 18. Yep. All right, so that's not a factor, but it'll be set 1 through 30, provisional process not applicable. The event will be under the 2020 Arkham Nard Series rules, procedures, regulations, and specifications. And it will be a one-lap qualifying. Adjustments or repairs may not be made on the vehicle until after the vehicle has taken the green flag at the start-finish line. And then the vehicles will be impounded after qualifying, and so they must qualify on their race setup. Now, there's no adding or moving tires to or from the pit box once the race has started. Uh, they will get a maximum of four crew chief members or crew members who can service the car, but again, no tires or fuel can be added outside of the brakes. This is a 100-lap, 100-mile uh, race, and is to be run in three segments. The race will have the first brake at or near the conclusion of lap 35, the second brake at or near the conclusion of lap 70, and, of course, the last uh, brake is at the end of the race. Uh, and vehicles will line up in the order they were running at the beginning of the break. So there's no pressure on these pit stops for these drivers. Per the ARCA rulebook, the maximum number of tires allowed in the pit box for use is a number of eight. So uh, let's go ahead and go over the entry list here. Uh, we, we know that Michael Selvin and Brett Holmes are going to be in this race, but uh, let's go ahead and move uh, from the bottom up here and let everybody know the other people that will be racing. Definitely some different names on the list here in these 18, starting with the car number 69. That will be Will Kimmel driving for Bill Kimmel, who also crew chief that uh, Ford Valvoline Clarksdale Schwinn sponsored. And then you have the 48 of self-owned Brad Smith, and Jeff Smith will be the crew chief on that Chevrolet. Okay, and then the Venturini, number 25, with Michael Self behind the wheel. Uh, and he'll be driving uh, the Toyota, of course, with Kevin Reed on top of his pit box. Bill Hendren will be the uh, crew chief for uh, the Bill Hendren, number 24 Chevrolet, driven by Ryan Unzicker. So, again, he's a local favorite, and everybody will be cheering him on. Well, you covered one championship contender. I'll cover the other. The 23 is Brett Holmes in the cell phone. Stacy Holmes and Holmes Excavation-sponsored uh, Chevrolet. Shane Huffman is the crew chief. And this week, in the number 20 Bill Venturini Toyota, crew chief by Bill Venturini, will be Corey Heim. We've seen him make several starts for them, so that'll be an interesting one to keep your eye on. Okay, and the familiar number 18 Toyota will be Ty Gibbs for Joe Gibbs Racing, and Mark McFarlane will be on top of the pit box. Blaine Bainbridge is on the box for David Gilliland's uh, team uh, in, the car, in the number 17 Ford driven by Taylor Gray. 
Here's one of the names I haven't seen a whole lot anyway. The number 16, Mike Algar-owned Chevrolet. That'll be Kelly Kovsky with John Hansen as the crew chief. And then we have uh, another Venturini, the Drew Dollar driving the number 15 Toyota with Shannon Roosh as the crew chief. Kelly Kosky is another one of the local favorites that are going to be driving this weekend. So uh, definitely one of the people uh, to keep your eye on this weekend. In the number 12 is Owen Smith for one of the Andy Hillenberg uh, Chevrolets. Uh, they haven't identified who the crew chief is going to be, but another Hillenberg uh, number 11 driven by Tim Monroe. Uh, he's driving a Toyota, and his crew chief is Trey Galgon. Another Hillenburg Toyota will be the number 10 of Mike Basham. We've seen him there quite a bit with Mike Schroof as the crew chief. And then the number seven, a self-owned Eric Cottle uh, Ford with Jeremy Petty in his ear. Okay. And the number zero six is another Illinois driver. Uh, he's from Ottawa, Illinois. Tim Richmond for Wayne Peterson Racing with Brad Fye on top of his Toyota pit box. Smith, Seth Smith will be on top of the box for the Hillenburg Ford, driven by Alex Club in the 0-1. And Hillenburg Racing likes to cover all bases, so they also have a Ford entered in the 0-1, and that'll be Alex <laughs> Chubb as the driver, and Brian, I'm sorry, Club, Alex Club, and Brian Club as the crew chief. And then, as always, the 0, Wayne Peterson, uh, self-owned machine Chevrolet, with Michael Peterson as his crew chief. Yes, and let me correct myself. Seth Smith is on top of the pit box for the David Gilliland Ford, driven by Haley Deegan in that number four. I think I jumped up a a line there. Okay, so there we have it. I do, again, I've got some uh, audio here uh, from uh, some of the other Arkham Menard Series drivers. I have both Brett Holmes and Michael Self. Uh, Let's go ahead and start with Michael Self, and we'll listen to his opening comments, and hopefully we'll have time to also listen to Brett Holmes and his opening comments. From noon until 6 p.m. on Sunday, there's no way. Obviously, I I can't do that. It's not going to be available. So I had to try and convince her that um, I had a real real job to help me move that forward to have to be gone on the weekends, and I have to take that tomorrow. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot going on right now. How does that conversation with your professor go when you say, "Oh, by the way, I'm a professional race car driver and I have a race on Sunday. Can you can you let me go? Does it, do they double take you when you say that?" So, so I'll be honest with you. I, sometimes to limit conversation, I just say I work in racing. Right. I'll just say, "Look, I, I work in racing and, and I'm on the road for travel this weekend. Um, it's just not going to be possible when I'm going to be be." in the field or whatever it may be on, on Sunday from that time, a lot of times it was forward to Friday and generally they don't, they don't ask too many questions about it. You can kind of drop it at that point and move on. You know, you can always say, Hey, you know, I have one at Daytona, you know, cut me a break here. <laughs> That's true. I can always just kind of like pan over. Right, right, right. There you go. I've got proof. Okay. Like, right. I got proof. I've got Okay. It sounds like uh, sometimes a, a little bit of a challenge when you're going to school and you've got to explain to your professor uh, that you've got uh, an obligation to get behind the wheel of a race car. Yeah, most certainly. Uh, I know that's one of those of uh, 
the drivers mentioned that that they're so thankful that's what they get to do for a living not a not a job but what they get to do for a living so uh we we know several of most of the drivers actually would would make that kind of statement exactly okay let's hear what uh, Brett Holmes has to say we'll listen to his opening comments um Michael Self it started in the middle of uh, the conversation there so I apologize for that but let's let's see if we can catch uh Brett Holmes at the beginning of the conversation. Number the number 23 Holmes to excavation Chevrolet. Current leader in the Arkham Art Series National Championship standings. Brett Holmes, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Hey, no problem. Thank you. All right, man. Um, first and foremost, I like that decor on the wall behind you there. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's like a it's like a bad reminder every day. <laughs> yeah, don't do that again. Right. So um, we talked about this a little bit last week. Um, you're leading the points with two races to go. You have a ton of dirt track experience, and you won the race early in the season at Kansas. Does that put a lot of weight on your shoulders for these final two races to uh, to kind of complete the deal here? Yeah, definitely. And, uh, I mean, there's, there's definitely a lot of added pressure to it, you know. But uh, Kansas being the, the last race of the year is definitely helpful for us. and uh, But also, also then, you know, it adds a little pressure to that, just knowing that we're capable of winning that race. So um, there's no reason we should have anything less than that there. So, um, and then and the dirt race stuff, you know, you know, obviously got a lot of experience in dirt track stuff, but, um, you know, Michael won there last year. So, um, you know, I think it's, uh, I think it's going to stay close all the way down to Kansas. Okay. I think he's right. I think this is going to stay close. Only two more races left for the Arkham Menard Series, Jay with uh, this race at Springfield this weekend, and then it's Kansas. And that's when it's over for this series. Well, and I like the fact that he is aware of the situation. You mentioned he may have the dirt experience, but Michael Self won there last year, even going to Kansas, although he won there. He knows that Michael Self is capable of, especially with that Venturini Motorsports back team. So he's not getting too far ahead of himself, but he knows, just as it's been, all season long. It's between the two of them going to be a door-to-door battle. Exactly right. Okay, now let's go ahead and get into our Gander Outdoor Truck Series race that's going to be taking place this week as well. Uh, They're racing the Chevrolet Silverado 250 at Talladega Super Speedway on Saturday, October the 4th at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Now, pre-race coverage will be available on Fox Sports 1 starting at 12 p.m. Eastern, with radio coverage from MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing a distance of 250.04 miles over 94 laps. Stage 1 is ending on lap 25. Stage 2 is ending on lap 40. And then the final stage will end on the last lap, lap 94. So uh, this will be an exciting race for the truck series uh, and uh, definitely one that everybody's looking forward to watching. Well, and sometimes things play out just the way you like them. I'm going to talk about some news and notes here. Gus Dean is going to return to the Gander Trucks with Hill Motorsports. Now, he'll be making his return this weekend at Talladega Super Speedway, the scene and site of his 2016 Arkham Menard Series victory. Mashon Apparel Company will be on track with Dean, and he will also proudly honor 
Officer Corey Wilhelm, Wilhelm, sorry, his badge will be showcased on the number 56 Chevrolet Silverado, and his name will be above the passenger door. Another uh, set of notes here for this weekend. Cobb is planning to do double duty this weekend. Jennifer Jo Cobb is gearing up for a very busy weekend of racing ahead. She will run the NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series race at Talladega Super Speedway before heading to Blytheville, Arkansas for some land speed racing at the East Coast Timing Association's Horsepower Harvest event. Wow, that's a mouthful. Cobb is celebrating (laughs) her 10th full season as the only female driver slash owner in any of the top three series. Now, she will run the number 10 fastener supply company Silverado on Saturday. And then on Friday in Arkansas, she will pilot the 2018 Attends Ford Fusion, a former NASCAR stock car, for Aaron Brown's The Garage Shop. She hopes to set the record for the fastest woman ever in a NASCAR stock car at any event. Very cool. Okay, now we're also going to take a look here at the uh, uh, playoff contenders in the truck series and how they fared at previous events at Talladega Super Speedway. Uh, We'll go two by two from the bottom up here, Jay, and uh, I'll start with Todd Gilliland. He's making his third Gander Truck Series start on Saturday for Front Row Motorsports. Last season, he finished runner-up to Enfinger. In both of his starts, he led laps, but he ended up finishing in 20th place. In his 2018 debut, due to a crash, he has uh, also an average start of 6.0 and an average finish of 11.0. Ben Rhodes, on the other hand, he has four starts at Talladega. He has a best finish of 12th that came just last season after starting 15th. And he has an average start of 16.9 with an average finish of 18.8. Well, I unfortunately got a short one to talk about here. Christian Eckes, as he's making his debut at Talladega Super Speedway on Saturday. So uh, his stats start with this weekend's race. But on the other hand, go to the other end of the spectrum. Veteran Matt Crafton is making his 15th start on Saturday afternoon the most of any other playoff driver. He has one top five and one and five top tens in his 14 starts with 58 laps led. He has an average start of 13.1 and an average finish of 16.2. My last season, he started on the pole and finished eighth. Next up is Tyler Ankrum, who uh, is making his second start at Talladega. He started in second in 2019, and he actually finished in seventh. He also led six laps for DDR Crosley. Grant Infinger heads to the track uh, for the seventh time this weekend. He has one win, two top fives, and three top tens under his belt. His win came in 2016 for GMS Racing after starting from the position. Uh, last season, he finished in 10th place for Thor Sport Racing. He's, only, he's the only current playoff driver with a win at the track to his advantage. He also has an average start of 10.5 with an average finish of 11.3. He's led 96 laps around the track. 
All right. Well, I got the other rookie here too, Zane Smith. Going to make for some interesting racing. He's never made a start in his career at Talladega Super Speedway. So Saturday will also be his series debut. And then Brett Moffitt, who's got two starts at Talladega, making his third here Saturday afternoon. He has one top five and one top ten with seven laps led. Last season, he finished fourth after starting eighth. And in 2018, when he made his debut at the track in the series, he finished 17th. Okay. Next up, we have Sheldon Creed, who's making his second career start at Talladega. His debut was last season for GMS Racing when he started fifth and finished ninth. He also led 20 laps and rocked to his first top 10 finish at Talladega Super Speedway. Austin Hill heads to Talladega with three previous starts to his name. He has a best finish of sixth, which came last season starting uh, after he started from the 13th spot. Tens in an average finish of 12.7. He's led a total of 10 laps and has an average start of 15.0. His track debut was in 2015, and in that race, he finished 22nd. All right. Let's scroll up here. Uh, We'll look at some clinch scenarios. All right. Oops, I think, whoa. Give me one second. I'm scrolled way too far. All right. Looking at the clinch scenarios for the Dega drama. Again, this is a wild card. As this season's round of 10 cutoff race, only Austin Hill has officially clinched a spot into the round of eight in the NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series playoffs with his win last weekend at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Now, keep in mind, non-playoff driver Sam Mayer took the checkered at Bristol. So as a result, seven of the eight spots are still available. So the first clinch scenario is if there is a new winner, the following drivers could clinch by being ahead of the seventh winless driver in the standings. Sheldon Creed would clinch with 10 points, Brett Moffitt with 18 points, Zane Smith needs 23 points, Grant Enfinger 31 Tyler Ankrum, excuse me, Tyler Ankrum and Matt Crafton had clinched with 47 points. Now, the three that are left there, Christian Eckes, Ben Rhodes, and Todd Gillen can only clinch uh, with help. Now, if there's a repeat winner, oh, I'll let you cover that next. Or you want me to cover this section, too? Do, 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 do. It's up to you. I can cover it if you want. If there's a repeat winner, the following drivers could clinch by being ahead of the eighth winless driver in the standings. They would also clinch if there is a new winner among Sheldon Creed, Brett Moffitt, Zane Smith, Grant Tinfinger, Tyler Ankrum, Matt Crafton, or Christian Eckes, and by being ahead of the seventh winless driver in the standings. So Sheldon Creed would be able to clinch with just three points. Brett Moffitt would need 12. Zane Smith needs 17 points. Grant Infinger, 25 points. Tyler Ankrum and Matt Crafton would clinch with 41 points. Now, Christian Eckes, uh, on the other hand, he's going to need 50 points to clinch. Ben Rhodes and Todd Gilliland, again, they can only clinch with some help. And the final note there, any of the drivers uh, clinch on their win alone would be any of the seven remaining in the playoffs. Again, that goes from Sheldon Creed, Brett Moffitt, Zane Smith, Grant Enfinger, Tyler Ankrum, Matt Crafton, Christian Eckes, 
Ben Rhodes, and Todd Gillen. Okay, now Hattori Racing Enterprises Austin Hill rebounded last Friday night at Las Vegas Motor Speedway uh, by using a final restart in the World of Boy State 200 during his first playoff win this year. Hill started in 11th place, and after a rough weekend at Bristol, uh, his eyes were on a win in the Sin City. Now, Hill won the race last season, and he had some momentum on his side. Hill bested Sheldon Creed, who led a race best 89 of 134 laps, but Creed ended up finishing runner-up. Tanner Gray had a career night. He finished third, followed by Stuart Friesen and Chandler Smith. And playoff drivers Grant Dinfinger, Zane Smith, Christian Eckes, Matt Crafton, and Tyler Ankrum rounded out the top ten. As far as the rest of the playoff contenders go, Todd Gilliland finished 13th, Brett Moffat was 15th, and Ben Rhodes, who had a rough night, finished 23rd. The Chevy Chevrolet Silverado 250 on Saturday uh, will be the final round of 10, and that will give drivers just one last chance to clinch their spot into the next round. So Saturday's race uh, will be a big one for all of these drivers. This is the elimination race. Creed will lead the field to green, and Hill will be joining him on the front row. So fans will definitely want to tune in for this NASCAR Gander RV Series event. Now, again, I do have some uh, audio here. Uh, the only – actually, I think I've got two. I've got uh, Grant Finger here uh, and Todd Gilliland, although I don't know how far into the uh, tape – uh, Todd Gilliland goes. Uh, and then I've also got uh, uh, an audio here from Ben Rhodes. Who would you like to hear from, Jay? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a little bit selfish uh, being from down here where I'm at, Mississippi, Alabama area, and having picked him for this weekend. Let's hear from Grant Infinger. Okay. Uh, let me play the pre-race audio from Grant Infinger. Again, Todd Gilliland is also on this, so we might end up getting with both of them, uh, but I'm not going to be able to play too far into it uh, before we need to move on. Let's get started here with uh, Grant Infinger, driver of the number 98 Ford F-150 for Thor Sport. Grant, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate some time. Yeah, thank you. And uh, we've got a, a, a small, intimate group here. So, so what I will do, uh, we've got some hands going up, so I guess we'll just kind of follow procedure here. But we'll just kind of be very informal here. So uh, why don't we get started? Casey, since you're up on top, why don't uh, you go away and ask whatever you got for Grant? Go ahead. Yeah, thank you, Dan. Um, of course. Um, so, Grant, uh, I know you're going back to, of course, Talladega. You're going back to your home state. Um, you've won there. But what is what is it like racing at Talladega? The uh, it, it, it's called the unpredictable of unpredictability for a reason. I was talking to uh, I was talking to you know talking to Tanner Gray and Rafael Lasarn. Both of them were excited about going there because you know both of them told me anything can happen there at that racetrack. So really anybody can win, and and of course we saw that last year with Spencer Boyd, and of course um, you won there a few years ago. I think was it was it with GMS? I think right. Yeah, that was back in 2016. Okay. Yeah, so just 
what is it like racing in Talladega? I mean, it's an easy question, but, you know, it's kind of complicated, too. Uh, you know, for me, I think it's a little different than for some guys because, you know, that, that's kind of the racetrack that started it all for me. That's what, what started the fire burning to, uh, to want to be a race car driver is going to Talladega as a kid. And, and uh, we, we go in a, in a Greyhound bus, and there'd be a bunch of us. Be, uh, be, be some, some guys making some mistakes and, and drinking too much and having a good time. And, and that's what I remember as, as a kid going there and just uh, the, the entertainment value on and off the racetrack. So uh, I've always loved Talladega. I've always, uh, you know, really, really pumped myself up for there. And, uh, you know, like you were talking, been fortunate enough that that's where I got my first uh, check win. Um, but, yeah, racing in Talladega is, is awesome. Um, I'm glad we only go to these speedways twice. You know, because it, it is so uh, so crazy. You know, bad stuff is going to happen. You just want to want to be positioned uh, away from it when it does. Um, but you know, I feel like obviously this year being a, a cutoff race for for the truck series um, adds a adds a, a different element. Uh, we're going in there with a, a little bit of a of a points cushion, but um, I don't know how how much good that does you uh, going into a Talladega because. You know, there, there can be some upset winners. Obviously, we, we've seen that. Um, there there can be some uh, losers, too, that it's not even an upset. You just kind of go in there expecting, you know, some guys in this playoff picture are going to get caught up in the wreck. And, uh, you know, just hopefully we, we do a good enough job positioning ourselves that, uh, that that's not us. So, um, you know, we'll, I'm, I'm letting Hensley work on the truck right now, but like, we haven't we haven't really discussed it, but but right now, my mentality is to, to race like heck those, those first couple of stages. And, you know, not do anything stupid, but, but we need some stage points. So uh, hopefully we can do that. Hopefully we can lock in by the end of that second stage. And that way I could really go for broke at the end. Okay, there you go. Uh, Jay Grimson, finger definitely looking forward to racing at Talladega Super Speedway this weekend. I, a couple a couple of points I took away from that. One, going in with a, po- a positive mindset. He's aware that it's a wild card. Anything can happen. He said it. You know, somebody else makes a mistake. Um, it affects you. But he's focused on what he knows he's capable of, and, and especially already knowing their point situation. If they get locked in uh, based off points of how that could change the end of the race for him if he's sitting in that situation. So taking in the whole scope of it, knowing where they're at, what they need to do in the race, and going from there, but not letting that dissuade him from having that positive attitude. I like that. Okay. We also have some uh, pre-race audio here from Ben Rhodes, driver of the number 99 for Thor Sport Racing. Uh, he is a teammate to Grant Enfinger. Let's hear what he has to say. The man, the myth, the legend, Ben Rhodes. Joining hey, us I'm- live. <laughs> How's it going, man? I'm good, good, good. Thanks for having me. Good deal. Well, as you can see, we are now joined by Ben Rhodes, and Ben is the NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoors Truck Series heads to Talladega this weekend. How excited and/or nervous are you to uh, head to the high banks of Talladega? Uh, I'm excited. I wouldn't say nervous. Um, I guess I would say anxious, maybe, just to get there and, and get the race going. Um, you know, I've been thinking about Las Vegas race all week and, uh, the problems we had and the mistakes that were made, and, um, where we're at in points. But I mean, even if we were six points up or 10 points up, if we came out of Vegas and, 
you know, we had 16 points more than what we do now, we'd still be in trouble. We'd still be on the bubble. So um, anything can happen at Talladega. And, and I've been talking to my spotter, my crew chief, and everybody about it, and we're really just going there on the offensive now. You know, we're six points under. Um, my crew chief and all the guys are, you know, cheery about it. They're, they're excited that we're going and being on the offensive. They feel better about that. Uh, me as a driver, I'm just, you know, it's kind of is what it is. I'm, I'm going to go hard either way. Uh, I'm just excited because this year they made a lot of improvements to our, our speedway trucks, and I feel like um, the stuff that was learned last year with Johnny Sauter and Matt Crafton taking two trucks that performed very well. Uh, we took that Daytona. It performed really well for us. We led a bunch of laps, and uh, we've been building on that program. So I hope hope we're going to have a really fast streamline Ford F-150 and, you know, be able to get the lead and, and stay there and, and lead well and not have to battle in the middle of the pack all day. Okay, I'll tell you what, we're going to open the floor for questions, Anna. Okay, that's uh, that was uh, Ben Rhodes and his comments. Any thoughts there, Jay? Well, he, he hit on one of the things that actually meant to meant to say that Grant Infringer talked about it, it being the cutoff elimination race. Ben Rhodes, obviously aware of that, as he is in one of those positions where he is under that cut line, um, being aware of it, but also knowing then taking from what he can, he knows exactly what he needs to do and that the rest of it's kind of kind of depend on the field it's not to say he'll get eliminated if he doesn't win it's not a win only situation but he also knows that's his guarantee so being aware of it and focusing on that uh but again without letting that negativity of or desperation set in uh, i think is a big key for these drivers and i know it's got to be tough going into a track like talladega yes indeed now, one note that we did not mention uh, is that Cav uh, Grawa is going to be in the car for Natalie Decker at Nice uh, Motorsports this weekend. And uh, I just noticed he put a tweet out. He said he just realized it's been over two years since he's done a plate race. So that's going to be interesting to see uh, what Cav Grawa is going to be able to do in that Nice Motorsports uh, car this or truck this weekend. Well, we can put that one up as a possible hot topic. I had not seen or heard that announcement. Uh, I know we've been we've discussed the situation with Natalie Decker, and I know we hadn't gotten a lot of information on that. And if they're keeping it uh, private for their personal reasons, we respect that. So, uh, good opportunity for Kaz Grawa. I'm excited to see that most certainly. Okay. Uh, let's go ahead now then and move on to the Xfinity Series. Uh, they are going to be racing this weekend at Talladega Super Speedway in the Ag Pro 300. Uh, that race is taking place Saturday, October the 3rd at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Pre-race coverage will be on NBC Sports Network starting at 4 p.m. Eastern and radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Now, they will be racing a distance of 300.58 miles over 113 laps. Stage 1 and Stage 2 are both 25 laps each, with Stage 2 ending on lap 50, and the final stage ends on the last lap, 113. Well, as we come down to the playoffs, some drivers are here in the tick-tock of the season ending and the championship hopes. Uh, but for one team, it's a good sign as a sound as they're coming into the fast lane. 
JD Motorsports with Gary Keller and NASCAR Xfinity Series driver Ryan Vargas announced the start of a new iconic partnership with TikTok, which is the fastest growing social media platform of the decade. TikTok and Vargas have partnered for the remainder of the 2020 season. Vargas has competed in three Xfinity Series races already this season for JD Motorsports, coming at Pocono Raceway, Kansas Speedway, and Darlington Raceway. He's also made three starts for the team in 2019 at Iowa Speedway, Road America, and Phoenix Raceway. Vargas, age 20, has made a name for himself through various, various social media engagements. He's a member of the 2018-19 NASCAR Next Class, and when he isn't piloting a car for the team, he is helping behind the scenes in the garage, at the shop, and on pit road. Now, Vargas is an alumni of the NASCAR Drive for Diversity program and won the Wendell Scott Trailblazer Award, which is presented to an outstanding minority or female driver who displays exceptional on-track performance, sportsmanship, and community service. The TikTok number six Chevrolet Camaro will make its debut this weekend at Talladega Super Speedway and run through the season finale at Phoenix Raceway. And having met uh, and gotten to interview Ryan Vargas, I am so happy for him in this situation. Yeah, this is pretty cool uh, that he's gotten such great sponsorship and uh, and uh, has TikTok on his car this weekend. Now, next up, we're going to take a look at the numbers for the playoff drivers. Uh, we'll go in the order of their seating from the bottom up and uh, take a look at how they've done at Talladega uh, for each of these drivers, starting with Brandon Brown. He has two starts at Talladega. He finished 11th earlier this year after starting 15th, and he has an average finish of 13th. The rookie, Ryan, Riley Earps, is making his second start at the track this weekend. He made his debut at Talladega earlier this season when he started 22nd and finished 37th after being involved in a wreck. He's hoping not to do that again this weekend. Well, as are all drivers, we'll see how that plays (laughs) out. Now, Michael Annette's got a little more experience. This will be his ninth start at Talladega this weekend. He has one top 10 to his name, which came in 2017 when he finished seventh. He has an average start at 12.2, but an average finish at 21.2. Earlier this season, he started second and ended up finishing 12th. Now, Ross Jastain has six starts at Talladega with one top five and one top 10. He's led 32 laps and completed 93% of the laps attempted. His best finish was runner-up earlier this season after finishing ninth. Okay, next up we'll talk about the rookie, Harrison Burton. He's going to be making his second career start at Talladega on Saturday. He made his debut there earlier this season. At that race, he started in the 11th spot, but was involved in a crash that had him finishing 30. Uh, So, again, I'm sure he doesn't want that to happen again, if at all possible. Ryan Sieg is making his eighth this weekend at Talladega. He has a best finish of sixth in 2018. And earlier this season, he started third, but unfortunately he finished 30th after an on-track issue. His average start is 21.9. His average finish at the track is 19.0. 
Well, the next pair, Brandon Jones has a six starts under, I'm sorry, five starts under his belt. It'll be his sixth start at Talladega. He has one top five and one top ten at the track. His best finish as a second was in 2018. His average start overall is 11.0 and an average finish of 18.2. He's led 37 laps at the track as well. Earlier this season, he started sixth but ended up finishing 16th. In the Colleague Racing Machine, there's Justin Haley. He's only got two starts at the track in the series, but one of them being a win in 2020 and one top 10. He led 16 laps earlier this season in route to that win as he also started from the pole. So he's an average finish of 4.0 with an average start of 3.0, but again, that's only in two races. Wow. Uh, Next up, we have Justin Argauer. Now, he's making his 11th start at the track this weekend. He has three top fives and six top tens with 78 laps led in total. In his last two starts at the track, he was involved in wrecks, and he ended up finishing 28th. However, for that, he had six top ten finishes in a row from 2011 to 2018. His best finish at Talladega is a runner-up finish in 2016. Noah Gregson, he's making his fourth start at Talladega this Saturday. He has one top five and two top tens there. And earlier this season, he finished 10th. And in his debut in 2018, he finished in fourth place. He's led 38 laps, and he has an average finish of 8.3. Not too bad. All right, getting to the top two pair of Fords. Austin Sindrick also has three starts at the track with the best finish of fourth, which came earlier this season. He has two top fives and two top tens at the track with 11 laps led in total. He has an average start of 11.7 and an average finish of 13.0. Now, Chase Briscoe, again, with three starts at Talladega. His numbers include one top five and one top ten to his name. The best finish was at the fall race of 2019, where he came home fourth. Earlier this season, he started fourth but finished 18th after leading 15 laps. He has an average start of 9.7, the average finish of 12.0. Okay. Uh, we're going to do the clinch scenarios here up next, if you want, Jay, and we can go every other one. All right. Uh, you want to start? Yeah, I was okay. There, I got it. All right. Now, again, we have two races left in the NASCAR Xfinity Series round of 12. Chase Briscoe is the only driver as of now that has clinched a spot in the eight-driver field the next round of the Xfinity Series playoff leaving seven spots still up for grabs. I'll start with the uh, clinch via points. If there is a new winner, the following drivers, by being 56 points above the six winless driver in the series, can clinch. That would be Austin Sindrick, Noah Gregson, Justin Algar, and Justin Haley. Brandon Jones is in in a spot where he could clinch, but only with a little bit of help. Okay, now if there is a repeat winner... The following drivers could clinch by being 56 points above the uh, seventh winless driver in the standings. They would also clinch if there is a new winner among Austin Sin, Justin Algauer, Justin Haley, Brandon Jones, or Ryan Sieg, and being 56 
points above the sixth winless driver in the standings. Austin Sindrick, Noah Gregson, Justin Algauer, Justin Haley, and Brandon Jones uh, can clinch under those circumstances. Ryan Seed, however, can only clinch with some help. All right, and the 11 drivers that are still left without the win would clinch on a, their win alone. Mentioned Sindrick, Gregson, Algar, Haley, Brandon Jones, Ryan Sieg, Harrison Burton, Ross Jastain, Mike Lynette, Riley Herbst, and Brandon Brown, as they are all still in this round trying to advance to the next. Okay. Uh, let's take a little bit closer look at Talladega going through the past Xfinity Series performances at the track. It's no wonder that so many competitors call this event a wild card. Talladega Super Speedway, as we all know, is unlike anything else that the series competes on. The giant raceway is 2.66 miles in length. It's a high banked paved track located in Talladega, Alabama. The track has 33 degrees of banking in the corners, with 16.5 degrees of banking on the front stretch and 2 degrees of banking on the back stretch. The front stretch is also 4,300 feet, and the back stretch is Talladega has hosted 29 Xfinity Series starts, dating back to their, their inaugural event there on July 25th of 1992. The first Xfinity Series race at Talladega was uh, won by Ernie Irvin, in number four Chevrolet that he owned. The 29 Xfinity Series races at Talladega have given us 21 different pole winners and 24 different race winners. Martin Truex Jr. leads the series in wins at the track. He has three victories, and Joe Nemechek leads the series in poles with five. Nemechek is also tied with Joey Logano. Did I skip up to the... No, okay. I'm I'm in the right place. <laughs> Joey Logano for the most top fives with seven, and Nemechek holds the record for the most top tens at nine. Now, the NASCAR Hall of Famer Mark Martin holds the Xfinity Series record at the track at 168.937 miles per hour, which he did on April 26th of 1997. Three times in series history, the race winner has only led one lap, and most recently in 2018, it's that's when Spencer Gallagher won the event with just one lap. Chevrolet has the most wins by a manufacturer with 16. Joe Gibbs has the most wins as a car owner with five. Only two of 28 races have been won from the pole. That happened in 98 and again in 2008. This weekend's race, again, is 300.58 miles. Chase Briscoe will lead the field to green with Noah Gregson joining him on the front row. Well, I always like these uh, history sections there, some of the names that come up and the memories it brings back. Um, But looking at that right now, we are currently making history. As the NASCAR Xfinity Series returned to Las Vegas Motor Speedway last weekend, it was Chase Briscoe that was victorious once again and clinched his spot into the round of eight for the playoffs. 
Briscoe's win marked the eighth of the season for him in the number 98 Stuart Haas Racing Ford team. Briscoe is the eighth different driver in series history to win eight or more races in a single season. And to boot, it's the second time this season that he's won back-to-back races. He also swept the Las Vegas Motor Speedway races weekends in 2020, winning back there in February as well. Now, Briscoe's dominance has not been surprising, though, as he and his Ford teammate, Austin Sindrick, have won a large portion of the races, 13 of them so far this season. As the series heads to Talladega Super Speedway for the AG Pro 300, is going to kick off the string of wildcard races to end the season. Expecting the unexpected is part of the game when racing at Talladega, but Briscoe there gets to head into the race weekend with a little less worry than the rest of the playoff field as they're fighting to make it in to that next round. Another driver looking forward to this weekend at Talladega, that would be Justin Haley, driver of the number 11 college racing Chevrolet. He's the playoff contender who won at, Alabama, at the Alabama track earlier this season, and his colleague racing teammate, Ross Chastain, finished right behind him in second. So they'd obviously have good notes. And then Sindrick finished fourth earlier this season, and Noah Gregson, tenth. The four of them were the only current playoff drivers to finish in the top ten. Wow. Now, we do have some uh, pre-race audio from only one Xfinity Series driver, and Andy would be pleased because that driver is Chase Elliott uh, in the number 98 for Stuart Haas Racing Sport. So let's hear what uh, Chase Briscoe has to say going into this race this weekend. Obviously, everybody has a little bit of discussion, but nothing too serious. I think right now the main focus is trying to, to win this championship and focus on these playoffs and I'm sure, you know, a lot of those discussions will pick up over the next couple of weeks, but, um, you know, right now they're just letting me focus on the playoffs. And a quick follow-up, going to Talladega, um, where teams, te- where manufacturers tend to work together. Do you anticipate you and uh, the other four, uh, Austin Sindrick, working together there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just had a phone call at 11 o'clock. All, all those crew chiefs, drivers, uh, and even four who were on it, just trying to figure out. You know, what's the best strategy going into it? I feel like every every super speedway race, me and Austin have, have tried to really stick together, and it's hard when there's only two of you. Um, to to you know, the numbers just don't work for you. But I feel like every race we've gotten a lot better of understanding how each other super speedway race. Um, and obviously the main goal is to push Austin to hopefully have enough stage points where he's clinched, and then uh, from there we can just both race. But still, obviously try to help each other out. Thank you, Jerry. Okay, that was Chase Elliott. I'm sorry, Chase Briscoe uh, talking about going into Talladega this weekend. Uh, again, very aware of his situation and what he needs to do because he's he's in a good situation. He's one of the ones that's in a really good situation. He is, and that takes the pressure off of advancing to that next round. But there's still a focus for him, and it is uh, that was directly asked, and he immediately answered when it comes to the manufacturer um, working with the other Ford team there, Austin Sindrick, and, and he talked about how even developing that relationship. It's not a teammate, but it is a manufacturer teammate. So working together in the past races and getting to where they know they can work together as a manufacturer. Yeah, especially given the fact that there are only two Fords in the Xfinity Series, 
And those two Fords were driven by the top two drivers, Austin Sindrick and Chase Briscoe. So uh, those guys really do need to rely on each other because there are no other Fords in the field. Well, and both of them, uh, generally speaking, I know on occasion we've seen a, a couple cars, but they're also single cars, be it from top cup-level teams, uh, Stuart Haas Racing backing the 98 and uh, Penske backing the number 22. They don't have any other teammates, um, and they're limited on, like you said, the only two Fords overall in the Xfinity Series. So uh, that's good to see that they are still aware of that and working together when it comes to that. Uh, when it comes down to nope. the end and it's door-to-door, those kind of deals have a tendency to go out the window in a hurry, though. About 200 miles an hour, they go out the window. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Okay, we are about five minutes ahead of schedule here, uh, Jay, but I'm going to go right into the Cup Series. Hopefully, we'll get done early so we can go over our fantasy uh, group and how the points are falling into place, as well as our picks for this weekend. So getting right into the NASCAR Cup Series, the Yellowwood 500 uh, at Talladega will take place Sunday, October the 4th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. NBC will have the pre-race coverage starting at 1.30 p.m. Eastern with radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They will be driving a distance of 500 miles over 188 laps. Uh, the first two stages are 60 laps each. Stage two ends on lap 120, and the last stage ends on the last lap, lap 188. All right. Well, we just happened to be talking about this, uh, talking about the uh, Ford or manufacturers, the Ford Playoff Talladega Wind Street. No, no other manufacturer has spent more time in Victory Lane when it comes to Talladega Super Speedway. Run down the list here real quick. Uh, their playoff win streak. Going back as far as 2014, it was Brad Keselowski, Joey Logano in 15 and 16. Then Brad came back in 2017. In 2018, it was Eric Almarola. And in 2019, it was Ryan Blaney. Now that covers the last 16 races that Ford who has collected 12 of the last 16 checkered flags at the 2.66-mile track, which is 75%. Now, this weekend, the Ford drivers will have the chance to keep the OEM's postseason winning streak of the last six consecutive playoff races alive. Team Penske's Ryan Blaney has won the last two consecutive races at Talladega in 2019 and 2020 in a Ford. So for him, the third time is the charm. As Team Penske's Ryan Blaney joined that list of consecutive Talladega winners after winning in 2019 playoff race and the 2020 June race earlier this year. Blaney is looking to become just the third different driver to win three or more consecutive cup races at Talladega, and this would put him on a heck of a list here, joining Buddy Baker, who swept the 1975 races and then the 76 May race, as well as Dale Earnhardt Jr., who did it in a stretch from 2001 to 2003. Okay, now the, a couple of other notes here. NASCAR releases their 2021 Cup Series schedule. I'm sure we will talk about this quite a bit on Hot Topics uh, starting at 10 o'clock tonight. Uh, but this week they did announce their 
a historic slate that includes the introduction of three new racetracks and new layouts at two iconic venues to the sports stops level. Now, not since 1969 has NASCAR added this many new venues to its premier series schedule. The 36th race slate includes three race, includes races at three new road course layouts and the first Cup Series race on dirt in more than 50 years. So uh, we do have a full release of that 2021 schedule available at banforacing.com if anyone wants to check that out. And, again, we will be talking about this tonight uh, during our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off segment that starts at 10 p.m. Eastern. Also, the ticket capacity has been reached at Talladega Super Speedway. Officials announced today that the socially distanced grandstand and the tower ticket capacity has been reached for Sunday's Yellowwood 500 for the Cup Series playoff race. There's a very limited number of camping spaces that are still available for purchase in the track's famous infield uh, for guests with self-contained RVs. Now, those interested in camping possibilities for the weekend uh, are encouraged to act very quickly uh, because those are going fast. Uh, you will need to call one eight seven seven go to dega and uh, find out more information about the availability of those spots. All right. Uh, taking a look at the postseason dozen at Dega. Uh, and I guess we'll go two by two. I'll start us off here. Uh, the wild card aspect of this NASCAR Cup Series playoff event this weekend at Talladega C- Super Speedway can really wreak havoc on the 12 driver playoff field as they try to navigate all the challenges. But some have had been, been better than others at the 2.66 mile behemoth of a track. We're going to take a look at each of these drivers, round of 12 drivers' career performance at Talladega. I'll start down here with the number three, Richard Childress Racing Chevrolet of Austin Dillon. Now, he finds himself in the 12th and final spot of the round of 12 playoff standings, 32 points behind the round of eight cut line. Highlighting the number three again for RCR, the Chevrolet, which has 12 triumphs at Talladega, Dylan himself has three top 10 efforts at the 33-degree bank venue with a best result of third in May of 2016. Over the last seven races, his average finish is 25.14, and he was sixth in last year's playoff race but finished 39th earlier this season after being caught in an incident. Next one up here, Eric Almarola, the number 10 Stuart Haas racing Ford. He grips the 11th spot in the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs. He is 27 points back from the round of eight cutoff. But if the last eight races are any indication of how they will do this weekend, this is the guy to watch. The 2018 Talladega playoff race winner has recorded eight straight top ten results, including five top five efforts with an average finish of 5.125 during that span. And he was fourth in last year's last fall's Yellowwood 500, while finishing third earlier this season in the Geico 500. Okay, and the number 14 Stuart Haas Racing Ford is Clint Boyer. He's hanging on to 10th in the Cup Series playoff points. He's 20 points behind Alex Bowman in that final transfer spot to the round of eight. 
Fortunately for Boyer, though, Talladega is one of his better tracks in the postseason. In 29 starts, the veteran has collected two wins. That was in 2010 and 11, both playoff races. He also has seven top fives. He has 13 top tens. And he finished 25th in Talladega uh, just this past June. Kyle Busch in the number 18 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota hangs on to the ninth place in the standings, just nine points behind Alex Bowman in that final round of eight transfer spots. Bush predicted that he's going to be eliminated in this round after his Bristol race. And this weekend could certainly assure his prophecy if he does not get a good finish. The Las Vegas native has made 30 starts at Talladega, posting a win in April of 2008. He also has six top fives and eight top tens. He finished 32nd at Talladega earlier this season. Well, being above the cut line gives you a little bit more assurance, but not a whole lot. We'll start with that eighth spot, Alex Bowman of the number 88 Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet. He's clinging to that eighth and final transfer spot, just nine points ahead of the cutoff. Bowman has made 10 starts at Talladega, posting one top five and three top tens, which does include a seventh place finish earlier this season. Now, Bowman has yet to win at Talladega, but did finish a runner-up in the April 2019 race. Another Hendrick Motorsports machine is the number nine Chevrolet of Chase Elliott. He's currently seventh on the outlook for the playoffs inside the round of eight by just 10 points. Now, the Georgia native heads over to Talladega looking to keep his playoff hopes alive. He's made nine serious starts at Talladega, posting one win, which came in 2019 three top fives, and four top tens. His rebounding from his most recent performance at the track will be important as the Hendrick Motorsports star was caught in an incident and finished 38th back in June at Talladega. Okay, next up we have a couple of veterans with Joey Logano in the number 22, Team Penske Ford. He's sixth in the playoff points, 11 points ahead of the round of eight cutoff. Logano heads to Talladega with the second most wins. He has three at Talladega uh, among the active drivers. Uh, He also has two of his wins were playoff races. In total, he's made 23 series starts at Talladega. He's posted eight top fives, 10 top tens to accompany all of those victories we just talked about. He also finished 17th in the Talladega race earlier this season. In the number 19 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota is Martin Truex Jr. He's in fifth in the playoff uh, points. He's just 15 points up on the round of eight cutoff. Now, Talladega is statistically worst tracks in the postseason. He has made 31 starts at Talladega, putting up two top fives and eight top tens. He finished 23rd at Talladega back in June. Well, another connection to this next driver up, as well as the three of the last four here, is being a former champion. Now, the number two, Team Penske Ford of Brad Keselowski, is also the current active titan of Talladega due to the fact that he has more wins at the 2.66-mile super speedway than any other active driver with five victories. They came in uh, 2009, 12, the 14 playoff race, 
2016 and then the 2017 playoff race, which included his first ever cup win back in 2009. Now, Keselowski has already won once this postseason, coming at Richmond, currently fourth in the playoff. 16 points up, though, on the round of eight for the cutoff. In 23 starts at Talladega, the 2012 champion has totaled seven top fives and 11 top 10 performances. He finished 19th in the Talladega race back in June. Now, the one out of these top four that isn't a champion but having a championship season, that's the number 11 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota of Denny Hamlin. He's currently third in the playoff outlook with a sizable 51 points between himself and the round of eight cutoff. As a three-time Daytona 500 champion in 2020, 2019, as well as 16, he's made 29 series starts at Talladega Super Speedway, posting one win, which came back in May of 2014, but also eight top fives and 12 top tens. He finished fourth in the Talladega race here back in June. Okay, another couple of uh, champions here in Kevin Harvick, who drives the number four Stewart House Racing Ford. Right now, he sits on top of the playoff point standings. He's 61 points ahead of that round of eight cutoff. The 2014 Series champion has made 39 Cup Series starts at Talladega. He holds one win April of 2010. He also has seven top fives and 15 top ten finishes. He scored a 10th place finish at Talladega in June. Now, Kurt Busch in the number one Chip Ganassi Racing Chevrolet is 63 points behind Kevin Harvick in the playoff standings. But with his win just last Sunday, he has already advanced to the round of eight. The 21-year veteran has made 39 strikes at Talladega, but he's still searching for his very first cup triumph. With eight top five, 21 top ten finishes, Talladega is statistically one of Bush's better playoff tracks. In the last seven Talladega races, his average finish is 12.86 with four top ten results. He also finished ninth at Talladega back in June. All right. Well, we talked about Kurt Bush. We're going to talk about the others trying to advance with the playoff race number five clinch scenarios. The playoffs have reached the halfway point this weekend with this fifth race in the point season, and it'll be the Yellowwood 500 this Sunday at Talladega Super Speedway. There's only one of the 12 postseason challengers. Again, Kurt Busch has clinched that spot into the round of eight, leaving those other seven spots still up for grabs with two races to go. That'd be Talladega and then the Charlotte Roval, which we'll preview next week. Again, Kurt Busch already clinched into the round of eight, but the ones that can clinch on via points, if there's a new winner, the following drivers could clinch being 56 points above the six winless driver in the standings. And that would be Kevin Harvick, who could clinch with 52, Denny Hamlin with 50. Now, Brad Keselowski, Martin Truex, and Joey Logano can only clinch with a little bit of help. Okay, now if there's a repeat winner... The following drivers can clinch by being 56 points above the seventh winless driver in the standings. They would also clinch if there was a new winner among Harvick, Hamlin, Keselowski, Truex, Logano, or Elliott. 
and being 56 points above that sixth winless driver in the standings. Now, Kevin Harvick made 48 points to clinch, Denny Hamlin 51 points, and Brad Keselowski, Martin Truex Jr., Joey Logano, Chase Elliott, they can only clinch with help. Alex Bowman can only clinch with help and cannot clinch if Joey Logano or Chase Elliott win. So he's going to be racing to stay in this weekend. All right, and I think we've covered all of them. Any one of them can clinch with a win. Uh, starting from the bottom, Austin Dillon, Eric Almarola, Clint Boyer, Kyle Busch, Alex Bowman, Chase Elliott, Joey Logano, Martin Truex, Brad Keselowski, Denny Hamlin, and Kevin Harvick. Okay, now Talladega Super Speedway offers a unique challenge to the playoff contenders. The unexpected is what you expect when it comes to Sunday's Yellowwood 500 at Talladega. The stakes are high, and the NASCAR Cup Series playoff round of 12 standings are as tight as are very tight as the series now heads to Alabama. Now, last season's playoff race at the massive 2.66 mile Super Speedway had 110 green flag passes for the lead. That's the most in this event since 2013. The 2020 season marks the fourth consecutive year that Talladega Super Speedway is hosting the fifth race of the Cup Series playoff from 2017 to this season, race number 31 of the season. Now, Talladega is the third different track to host the fifth race of the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs, joining Charlotte Motor Speedway from 2004 to 14 and Kansas Speedway in 2015 and 16. Talladega Super Speedway has participated in the playoffs since its inception into the series in 2004. Uh, the current playoff era is from 2004 to the present year. Talladega hosted the third race of the Cup Series playoffs from 2004 and five and the fourth race from 2006 and 8, the seventh race from 2009 and 10, and the sixth race in 2011, the fourth race in 2012, and then back to the sixth race in the postseason from 2013 to 16. During the 2014 to 16 seasons in the elimination-style playoff format, the sixth race of the playoffs also serves as the cutoff for the round of 12. A total of 12 different drivers have won the Cup Series playoff races at Talladega Super Speedway. Six of the 12 are active this weekend, including Brad Keselowski from 2017 and 14, Clint Boyer in 2010 and 11, Jamie McMurray in 2009 and 12. Hmm, I didn't know Jamie was racing this weekend. Anyway, Joy Logano in 15 and 16, they lead the series in playoff wins at Talladega with two victories each. During the playoff era, again from 2004 to the present, the winner of the Talladega playoff race has never gone on to win the title in the same season. But twice the Talladega playoff race winner has finished runner-up in the championship standings at the end of the season. Jeff Gordon did it in 2007, and Joey Logano did it in 2016. A total of 12 different drivers have won the Cup Series fifth race in the playoffs. Eight of the 12 are active this weekend. Hendrick Motorsports driver Jimmy Johnson leads the series 
in wins during the fifth race of the Cup Series playoffs with three victories and nine, all at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Twice the winner of the fifth race in the playoffs has gone on to win the title later that season, and both happened at Charlotte Motor Speedway. In 2009, Jimmy Johnson won the fifth race in the playoffs on the pole at Charlotte and then went on to win his fourth consecutive Cup Series title. It was his third of four wins in the 2009 postseason. Then, in 2014, Kevin Harvick won the fifth race in the playoffs from the seventh starting position at Charlotte Motor Speedway. He then went on to win his first career Cup Series title. It was his first of three wins during the 14 postseason. And I'm going to end it there because I do want to take this last five minutes to go over our fantasy points, Jay. So let's go ahead and cover that. All right. Well, we'll start with the truck series. This one, again, has been kind of our tightest all season. Looks like uh, 29 points from top to bottom. Andy does still lead with 74 points, but Sam has closed in to four points as he has 70. Owen is in third at 62. James is next at 60. Then there's a little bit of a drop. Sharon is at 52. I'm at 51, and Mike at 45. Uh, The Xfinity Series, that one looked to be a lock, but has closed up a little bit. Andy leads that one at 111. I'm at... No longer second. Sharon is second at 94 now. I'm in third at 90. I knew there was a shift in that one, too. Um, Then is Owen at 81, James at 74, Mike at 68, and Sam at 61. On the cup side, uh, this has been, reminds me of the Arca Menard series here. Andy and I have swapped now the last three weeks, I believe. I'm at 149. He is at 142. Sam is closing in. He is up to 116. Owen at 101. And then just outside the 100-point mark, James is at 98. Sharon at 93. And Mike at 88. Now, if you total all those together, we heard Andy's name a lot at the top or near the top. He's got 327 points. I am second at 290. Sharon, oh, nope, Sam moved up here. Sam is up to third at 247. Owen into fourth at 244. Then Sharon at 239. James is right behind at 232. And Mike at 201. Now, again, Mike did get a late start in all three series, so uh, there's a little bit of a reason. But I know he's had just as much fun uh, doing this all year as well. Yeah, it is a lot of fun. As I say, uh, looking at it, I know Mike's been busy, pretty busy today. I don't know if he was going to make it here for Hot Topics or not, but we are waiting for him in the Truck Series pick as well as the Xfinity Series. The two picks that have come in from the Truck Series so far, Sharon got to start and went with one of the rookies we talked about, Zane Smith. I tried to go with a little bit of experience. There were a couple of drivers I looked at, but I went with Grant Infinger. Uh, we don't have any in the Xfinity side yet. On the cup side, this one, again, wild card or not, you still try and go with some experience. Uh, Andy, we talked about uh, Eric Almarola. That's who Andy went with. Owen went with Alex Bowman. 
Sam took the Titan of Brad Keselowski. Sharon came in with uh, heavy contender Kevin Harvick, which actually left me with kind of a dilemma here because I had a couple I was looking at. I went with Joey Logano as part of Team Penske, but I know Ryan Blaney out of the playoffs already, but that kind of frees him up. So I was debating there. And that leaves uh, James. I'm waiting on an answer back from right now. And then Mike will wrap up with his final cup pick there. Okay. Well, it sounds pretty good. And uh, it's not been one of my better years. My saving grace is the Xfinity series. Uh, but uh, not doing so well in the other two series. Uh, but we'll see how this continues to play out for the, uh, the remainder of this playoff season. It's been exciting so far. And uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot of exciting racing uh, this weekend at Talladega, as well as the Arkham Art Series out there on the Springfield Mile uh, for the Arkham Art Series. So uh, definitely looking forward to all of the racing this weekend. We're coming up on the top of the hour, and that means it's almost time here. Well, it is time for NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And uh, I've got someone in the queue here. We'll bring them in and say welcome to the show. Michael? hi <laughs> And also we're welcoming to the show our co-host for Hot Topics, and that is Andy Lasky. Welcome to the show, Andy. Thank you, Sharon. How are you guys doing tonight? Very well. Thank you, Andy. Uh, and with you being the co-host, I'm going to give my voice a rest and let you kick off the very first hot topic for tonight. Do we have anything to talk about this week? Do you guys know? Or... <laughs> I, 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 didn't, so. I was just debating not even calling in. Um, well, <laughs> might as well get it started with the 2021 schedule. Obviously, uh, some pretty big news there. So. I won't go into the details because I'm sure we'll all talk about it at one point, but obviously want to see what everyone thinks because it's probably the biggest shakeup we've seen in quite some time. Yes, indeed. Mike, that puts you at the top of the list to kick off your thoughts with your thoughts. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of confirmation of stuff that we had already heard via the various rumors and leaks, you know, the Bristol dirt race, uh, the elimination of the races at Chicagoland and Kentucky, as well as the elimination of a points race at Texas to move to Coda. The one that really kind of surprised me, caught me off guard, they pulled the plug on the Brickyard 400, and that really surprised me. Um, the racing at Indianapolis has been pretty lousy the past few years, but it's been considered a crown jewel, a NASCAR crown jewel ever since the inaugural race in 1994. And as bad as the racing had been, I kind of thought that race was going to be untouchable. Um, so when Steve O'Donnell said that nothing was off the table, apparently nothing was off the table, including a crown jewel race. So that kind of leads me to the question now, is the Bristol night race now officially a NASCAR crown jewel? It's been gaining in prestige and importance. And with the loss of the, uh, the Brickyard 400, does the Indianapolis road course kind of take that crown jewel? Or I would say the Bristol night race is probably a more prestigious race at this point. Well, that one's a a tough call to make as far as uh, replacing it as one of the top four uh, crown jewel events, if you will. Uh, This is really surprising, again, with the following of Roger Penske taking over Indianapolis Motor Speedway. We kind of assumed that maybe that relationship with NASCAR would actually grow. 
So uh, definitely a, a surprise one there. Like you said, the others we kind of had heard rumor of and talked about. I know, especially when it comes to the dirt race at Bristol, as well as the loss of Chicagoland and Can- uh, Kentucky. Sorry. Um, you know, thoughts on the. I'll start with the, the dirt race at Bristol. I did express my my concern about it. What I got to give NASCAR credit for here is they are trying to listen to the fans. Fans said they want wanted a dirt race, and I think it was Dave Moody that had this up in a tweet. You know. NASCAR is trying to give them what they want, but also protect themselves and their interests and needs and wants. In this case, SMI, it's their track. They're not just going to give away a NASCAR Cup race event or date. You know, who who in their right mind is going to do that? If you put yourself in that position of you have a track and have two dates, you're not going to just give one away. So they are working on it, and they made it work with the Roval. I know when the Roval was first announced, I had my concerns about that of, again, what I call manufacturing a road course. I know it's available there, and and obviously they have done it, and it has come out to be a good event. I have a little bit more trepidation with the dirt thing, but I'm also intrigued by it, and I have faith that NASCAR, again, does their due diligence when they do something like this, uh, that they're going to find a way to make it work. It may take a year or two, so uh, might have to... uh, I don't, want to say if, I don't know if I want to say suffer through the first year or two, but with anything like that, the growing pains and what you learn by first trying it. They are not afraid to try it, and I do like that. So I'll give them credit there. Some of the other schedule changes, again, I, I, I can't fathom what the possibility of, of the loss of Chicagoland as one of the better 1.5-mile tracks. I'm not in that position to know their 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 numbers and everything, but that one as a – Somebody that's been there and knows the facility really did kind of surprise me. That was one that I thought maybe the the rumor wasn't true, but turned out to be. So definitely some interesting things. But what I do take from it as a positive, as I try to and like to try to do, they are definitely looking forward and not afraid to shake things up. We've seen it in the past. This is the way we've done it. We're going to keep doing it this way, even if it's not working or the best. They are willing to take that step and say, hey, we're going to try something new. So I do like that. And, I, again, I like the leadership that is willing to do that. Now I know uh, where my thesaurus okay. went. Jay, Jay, Jay stole my thesaurus. <laughs> okay. I got to Good use the word trepidation. I know. <laughs> nice job. The, the most disappointing news for me was the loss of Chicagoland Speedway. I thought they put on some of the best racing across all four of NASCAR series when you consider the Arkham Menard series also racing there along with NASCAR's top three. Um, They put on some really close racing, uh, some fantastic finishes, and it's very disappointing to to lose that as one of the uh, 1.5-mile tracks. but I will say I did get a letter from Chicagoland Speedway or a notification from there, and it almost sounds like they, they kind of left it with, we'll keep you in touch with different events that will be taking place at the track and what will happen in 2022. So I think they're leaving that door a little tiny bit open for the possibility of a NASCAR return in 2022 uh it might be wishful thinking on my part but it sounded like it was a tiny bit open there um the best news for me 
was the Circuit of the Americas at uh, Texas Motor Speedway. I think that's going to be a fantastic race, and I'm definitely looking forward uh, to that event taking place uh, on that road course because that's a pretty state-of-the-art facility, and uh, I think it's going to be fantastic to see the cars racing there. To answer your question about uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Way I think my personal feelings is that Indianapolis Motor Speedway, there is no comparison when you talk about the aura of that track and the um, just the uh, history that's involved at uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I think that the road course is going to enhance the standing as a crown jewel of NASCAR. And so I don't see that crown good jewel going anywhere but Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, Dirt at Bristol, I'm a little bit uh, more dubious about that. I'm I'm not so sure that I'm excited about that. I understand what they're doing. Uh, I'll support them until I see what happens. Uh, But it's not my favorite part of uh, the changes on the schedule. Andy, I'm curious to know your thoughts. I think overall it was, was, was positive changes. NASCAR fans have been saying in recent times, we want uh, more road courses. We want a dirt race and we want more short tracks, which um, we won't come, we won't see come to fruition until 2022 with uh, the reinvented auto club speedway as a new short track. But specifically uh, looking at the 2021 schedule, just to go through this here, I mean, I really think overall it's it's pretty cool. Uh, some pretty neat changes here. Uh, you know the Bristol Dirt Race. I'm gonna I'm gonna wait and just watch it. I know I've I've had my opinion on it already, but I do think that they're thinking outside the box and they're they're giving the fans something that they've been asking for. So I'm gonna wait and uh, reserve my final opinion on it until after that weekend. I'm actually looking forward to it. I think it'll be fun to watch. I think we're all going to watch it, whether we have a, have a negative or positive opinion on it. But I, I definitely think it's going to be one of those ones that people will circle just about, just if anything, for the intrigue of it and the unknown of seeing cup cars race on dirt. So, um, you know, that's going to be pretty awesome. And then um, Darlington getting a second grace, I, I think it's fantastic. Uh, it's one of the more historic racetracks on the circuit, and uh, they put on some pretty good racing this year. So pretty thrilled that they'll get another date back. Um, circuit of the Americas, I, I don't see how anyone wouldn't be excited about that. It's a fantastic facility, obviously built for Formula One racing, but uh, the fact that NASCAR is going there with not just Cup, but the top three divisions is going to make it uh, one of the more anticipated race weekends of next year. Uh, the all-star race going to Texas, um, not really sure what I think about that. Um, would have preferred to see it as a short track, but once again, um, you never know what's up their sleeve in terms of maybe making this somehow different than other all-star events. So with any luck, maybe it'll still be pretty exciting. Um, and of course that moves to Texas next year. Uh, the addition of Nashville, um, at first I was hesitant, but it is going to be the 750 low downforce package, uh, for both there. I guess that's a different topic we'll get into, but they are going to race, um, that package, the low downforce package there in Darlington. So, uh, Nashville may have some potential, uh, for next year. And then obviously, um, 
you know, to speak specifically about the loss of Chicagoland's chair, and I certainly hate that for you. I know that's your home track, but um, for those who live in that region of the country, you just got Road America. So, um, that's true. With with the with the loss comes the gain uh, for that region in the country to to get a, a pretty fantastic road course race at Road America. So, um, I would hope that those who went to Chicagoland and lived close to Chicagoland will make that trip up to Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin, next year because that's going to be a fun one. Uh, Atlanta getting a second race is a little bit intriguing to me. Um, don't really. Not 100% sure why they did that, but nonetheless, it's cool to see uh, Atlanta on the schedule twice next year. Um, the Indianapolis road course, you know, I've had mixed feelings about this, but overall, it's still Indianapolis, and there's still a huge press in winning a race there. And I think that um, I think it was time to try something new. Um, the Brickyard 400 on the Oval has been um, at times a bit lackluster. I don't think anyone can deny that. So. Um, I think it was time to try something new, and if that race is anything like the Xfinity Series event, it should be a pretty good show. Um, and then, obviously, the schedule from there on, uh, in particular, the playoffs remains unchanged with the exception of Texas and Kansas flip-flopping weekends. Uh, but overall, I, I really think the changes are, are pretty cool, and, and NASCAR listened to the fans. I think that you know fans have been saying, we like road courses, we want a dirt race, and, and like I said earlier, you know, the following year we'll see a reinvented short track at Auto Club Speedway. So I definitely think NASCAR is open to trying new things. I think they've opened themselves up to some new markets. Uh, we've got probably the most diversity in terms of uh, racetracks that we've seen in a long, long time. So I realize for those, you know, that lose races next year, um, you know, it's not fun to deal with that. I, you know, certainly you know, certainly can, can sympathize with that. But I do think overall it's a lot of positive changes. Um, I think some races, too, have lost date, but not overall uh, presence at the track. Dover loses a date, Michigan loses a date, but they still race at least one race there next year. So those are some other minor changes to the schedule. But overall, um, I give it two thumbs up. I think it's a great schedule and something to look forward to next year. Okay, Mike, your follow-up comments? Yeah, the uh, the rules package thing, that was another kind of follow-on on, follow on announcement that came out yesterday afternoon. And the rules for 2021 are going to be almost exactly what we've seen this year, with the exception, like Andy said, uh, they're going to use the 750-horsepower low-downforce package at all tracks less than 1.5 miles, which basically means that everything we've seen it at uh, this season, you're going to see it again at those tracks, so all the short tracks, Phoenix, uh, New Hampshire, et cetera. In addition, you will also see it now at Darlington and the new Nashville race. So that's the big change with the rules. Everything else should be as we come to expect. Um, with Chicagoland kind of leaving the door open to the future, there's been talk about kind of developing a rotation-based schedule where certain tracks may only host events every other year or some sequence of years. So maybe Chicago's privy to something like that to the point where they know they're going to they're going to lose the 21 race, but they might get one in 22 and then not in 23 and then again in 24. Who knows? I'm I, I'm not privy to that information at all. But we're not the first people to start talking about NASCAR having more tracks than they can realistically build a schedule around. So then, as a result, doing a every other year presence at some of these facilities. And that may be what's developing with Chicago. Okay. Intriguing. Jay. 
Well, there's a lot to cover here, and if we're only going to get one time around, I'll try and cover my other points here real quick. The one I forgot to hit on, I'm super excited about, is Road America, a true road course that we know can, the NASCAR cars can run on. To see the cup cars coming there, I am super excited about that. That is in, I guess, my former neck of the woods. Uh, but <laughs> return up there, I'm sure. Um, the other one I noticed there, going through the full schedule, the second Daytona race, the cutoff race, is not listed as the road course. They're only doing that for the um, preseason clash. That was kind of interesting because I thought they might stick with that, but they have opted not to, at least for this year. And then you mentioned the Brickyard. Uh, I know Sharon talking about the the heritage, the prestige, and the aura of that place. So remaining there, a good thing. But I think Andy and Mike have both said it. On-track performance is what it really comes down to. And unfortunately, they have had some struggles with the on-track performance and racing at that facility on the two-mile track. Um, so I think that change was a necessary change. We'll see how the road course plays out. Uh, and then the last one, and Mike just mentioned this, uh, with Atlanta and Darlington getting two dates this year, I think there is some things in play of we may see that rotation that he mentioned. And I know we kind of already talked about it earlier in the week. Um, and, again, there's been some other chatter about it. The tweet from the uh, Speedway itself uh, kind of intrigued me and led me down that same road that, I think they are looking at that of, hey, we may have to go to every other year and just see how it kind of plays out, which that would then build, uh, just like if you go from two dates to one date, that makes that one date that much more important. If you want to go to that track, you have to get it. So if it's every other year, that's going to hopefully fill those stands because they know it's a once every two year opportunity versus every year. So uh, if that's how they're looking at it, you can you can understand that thought process and maybe the way they need to go. Uh, again, not in the logistics of it, but I think that is a, a reasonable thought process. We'll have to see how it plays out and which tracks are affected by that of that rotation if that comes into play. Yes, and I'll just say, Andy, thank you so much for reminding me that uh, in lieu of Chicagoland Speedway this year, we do have Road America. Uh, that track has been on my bucket list, and I've wanted to go to that track for quite some time. This might be the impetus that I need to be able to, to make it up there to Elkhart Lake uh, and uh, attend a race at Road America. So, uh just overall, I'm, I'm satisfied with the 2021 schedule. I do applaud NASCAR for listening to the fans and trying to give the fans exactly what they've been asking for. Uh, now, we'd rather just hope that the fans don't start complaining about this schedule. Um, but I don't know what there would be to complain about, really. Uh, the changes that they've made have all been <clears throat> positive and well-intended. And uh, over, like I say, overall, I'm quite pleased. So, Andy, your final thoughts on this? Yeah, nothing of real substance, but yeah, just I'm, I'm incredibly excited about next year. I, I think that, um, like I said, the changes are all positive, and I'm sure fans will complain because if the sky's blue, fans are going to complain. That's just what they do. <laughs> but um, yeah, these are all, I think, primarily steps in the right direction. And, and to Jay's point, it would be kind of cool to see perhaps more venues added but rotate in and out of the schedule. Um, 
you know, perhaps, you know, periodically because, you know, I, I think it could potentially generate more interest. And it may sound a little bit weird to say that, but if your track's on the schedule one year, but not the following year, that might make you want to get out to the racetrack and actually go attend the race if you know that you can't go there every single year. So, um, and, um, you know, by adding more markets, um, you know, it generate it, it just generates the ability for more people to try to get out to the racetrack. So I, I, I think these are all pretty positive changes. Okay. Mike, uh, we'll go to you for the next top topic. Yeah, let's go to a, a big uh, personnel move announcement that was made at Hendrick Motorsports. Um, at the beginning of the year, we found out that Jimmy Johnson, uh, the seven-time championship driver at Hendrick Motorsports, was going to retire at the end of the season. This week, we found out that the seven-time champion crew chief at Hendrick Motorsports, namely Chad Knauss from the number 24 team, uh, was going to be promoted within Hendrick Motorsports to a managerial position, and this is going to be his last season on top of the pit box with the number 24 team. Uh, and there's also growing speculation that Chad may end up crew chiefing for Jimmy at the Phoenix race, just as a one last hurrah for the two seven-time champions. Interesting. Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, I look at this as a couple a couple different perspectives. I, I saw some interviews with Chad Knauss, and we know each person uh, personally reaches that level um, of having a, a young daughter and, and the spending time less time on the road, uh, still wants to be involved. Uh, we've seen it with uh, Zipidelli with um, Stuart Haas Racing. Obviously, I think it's a good move for Hendrick Motorsports to have someone like Chad Canales in that position. And again, for their personal reasons. The one thing I, I kind of entered into my mind, though, of that question of when when the Chad Canales Jimmy Johnson split happened, we questioned who was going to win first without each other, Chad Canales or Jimmy Johnson and Jimmy Johnson hasn't won. Chad Knauss now has almost like that box got checked and he said, okay, I'm done. I beat him uh, type deal. So kind of, kind of one of those random thoughts, if you will, that popped in, but I do think it is a great move. And obviously I think will be a great thing for Hendrick Motorsports. Okay. Andy, your thoughts. I think it's a logical next step for someone of, of Chad's caliber. Um, like Jay just said, uh, it's really the same scenario as Greg Zipidelli. It's Stuart Haas. He's their vice president of competition, and, and Chad Canales will actually have that exact same job title um, at Hendrick Motorsports. Where he'll, he will oversee essentially all four teams, crew chiefs, car production, things of that nature. So um, you couldn't ask for someone better to fulfill a position like that, and you'd have to think that he can strengthen the whole organization by being in that role. And I think that with, you know, crew chiefs have to come off the road at some point in time. So for him to be able to make a change like this and still be involved with his respective race teams, um, just perhaps, you know, in a less traveling role, you know, it's, it's, it's awesome. You know, I mean, he's had a, a hall of beyond a hall of fame career, really, when you look at everything that he's done, and, um, you know, kudos to him for, for making it a change. I would assume that he wants to do, you know, on his own terms. So, obviously, that's um, a pretty exciting change for him. And let me just look here because there were some other changes, too. Uh, Jeff Andrews was also promoted within the team, and he essentially is upper management at Hendrick. So, they're making some 
some personnel moves here to try to strengthen um, the top end of their management team, which I can only imagine will help uh, reinforce and strengthen that team down the line. So uh, some important moves that uh, can only help that team moving forward. Absolutely. Uh, I think it's a positive change. Uh, I think this is a good time for them to make that announcement because, as we know, uh, those drivers that are not in the playoffs, uh, it gives them an opportunity uh, to start preparing for next season. And uh, it might be uh, considered a loss for the 24 to lose uh, Chad Knauss, but when you think about it, they're not really losing him. He's still going to be the vice president of uh, racing operations there and, uh, and more in a managerial type uh, position. However, uh, Chad Knauss is uh, a smart guy, and I think uh, taking that expertise uh, and allowing him to help all four of those teams is a very, very positive move on the part of Hendrick Motorsports. So I see it as a positive all the way around. And, uh, Mike, I'm curious to know your thoughts. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. Chad Knauss is one of those guys. He's so smart, he glows in the dark. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's going to bring <laughs> improvement. to. Uh, we saw the improvement on the 24 team when he moved from the 48 over to the 24. And I'm, I'm sure once he gets put in that position where he has the ability to influence all four teams simultaneously, we're going to see nothing but good things from that. But Jay was also right. You know, as fans, it's, it, it's easy to forget sometimes just how much of a grind the NASCAR Cup Series schedule is. People who travel a lot for a living kind of know a little bit about it, about spending the majority of every single week away from home and it becomes a grind. And as you get older later in life, you have other things that may be a little bit more of a priority or a little bit more fun than they were when you were 20. And it seemed like a lot of fun to be on the road all the time. And everyone reaches that point. Some people, you know, just kind of go with it because they need the paycheck and other people have the opportunity like Chad Canales does to still stay involved in the organization, but do so from a, a, a uh, position that hopefully gives him that quality of life and stability that someone in his position would probably want now at, at, at the point in life he's at. So I wish nothing but the best for Chad Canales, and I expect great things from Hendrick Motorsports with him in his new position. Okay. Jay, any follow-up? No, I really don't have a whole lot of follow-up on that. We'll, we'll see how it plays out. It'll be interesting to see. The one thing I will be interested to see is, as we've seen William Byron develop and grow and get his first win, uh, you know, that we talk about the crew chief driver crew chief relationship to have to see him now build a new one with another crew chief would be the only slight drawback to a, that I might see to that. But again, I think that Hendrick Motorsports has some very intelligent people there uh, as well as Chad Knaus to put in that role with Knaus. They're still uh, available to advise and, and teach already more than he already has. I'm sure. Okay, Andy, your final thoughts. Yeah, Mike brought up a a bit of a rumor that Chad would crew chief uh, Jimmy at Phoenix, and Jimmy actually dispelled that today uh, in an interview with Bob Prokris. Would have been cool to see, and maybe it's not ruled out completely, but Jimmy said that their teams are just so um, in tune with their respective crew chiefs and and personnel that uh, they probably won't make that change for Phoenix. Would have been cool to see, but... uh, you know, nonetheless, um, it's cool to see, you know, the thing, the, the thing with NASCAR 
is a lot of drivers and team members don't always get to go out and make changes like this on their own terms. And for Chad to be able to do that is obviously a big deal. So, um, you know, a, a, a historic crew chief career, one that we'll talk about for a long time. And, uh, you know, obviously it's cool that he's still going to be a big part of that team and, and a big part of their success moving forward. Okay. I really don't have anything more to add. So, Mike, what are your final thoughts? Yeah, that's about it. I, I hadn't heard Jimmy say that the uh, the, the Phoenix uh, split was, or Phoenix switcher was off the table. Uh, it was only a rumor. I hadn't heard it being repeated by any anyone I would consider a credible source to go with. It wasn't coming from like Bob Pockris or Adam Stern or anything like that. Uh, but it's it's still you know as a race fan and as a Jimmy Johnson fan, it would have been really cool to see it. But like Andy said the teams are so plugged into each other and so integrated into each other that making that split for basically PR purposes would probably result in negative on-track performance by both teams, just because you're upsetting an established system. Um, so it is what it is. You know, I can, I can wear my race fan hat elsewhere and enjoy the show some, from something else. Okay. So uh, Jay, that puts you at the top for the next top topic. Well, while we're talking about Hendrick Motorsports, let's add in Richard Childress Racing as the two teams have confirmed Thursday that following the 2020 NASCAR Cup Series season, they will formalize a joint venture focused on engine R&D and the establishment of a common Chevrolet engine speculation, uh, which they are the only one of the manufacturers to not already have that in place. Okay, we're coming up on the uh, 10.30 hour, or half hour, and that means that we are going to be going off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. What that means is that even though we're going off the air, we are continuing to record the rest of the conversation, and that part of the conversation is available on our podcast. Now, I'll go out as soon as we're finished here. I will put a tweet out on Twitter just to let fans know that uh, uh, we've completed the show and the podcast is now available. If you've listened up to this point, just fast forward to the two-hour mark and you'll be able to hear the rest of that conversation. Uh, We'd like to put this announcement out here at this time. uh, Just so fans, uh, in case there's anyone listening for the first time, just so you're not guard if we go off there in the middle of a sentence. Uh, So just an FYI, uh, the rest of the conversation is available on our podcast, and I'll post that link as soon as we're finished here. So with that, uh, uh, I believe it is Mike that is up next. Yeah, um, with regard to the engine thing, kind of like Jay said, Chevy was the only manufacturer, at least current manufacturer, that did not have a singular engine shop. Ford has Roush Yates, and Toyota has TRD producing basically every engine that is representing that make on the racetrack. Um, so this is a Chevrolet kind of stepping in and kept basically catching up to the rest of the manufacturers. I may be reading something between the lines that isn't really there, but it does seem like it's just another step towards that consolidation between manufacturers um, that may end up paving the way for another manufacturer who is currently not racing in NASCAR um, to enter the sport. And then it becomes a little bit more manufacturer oriented as opposed to individual team oriented for how the the cars are produced and put on the racetrack. So 
I think this this consolidation with Hendrick and, uh, and Richard Childress slash ECRs, uh, who produces the Richard Childress engines, uh, I think that consolidation is probably a small step towards a broader goal of having more of a unified Chevrolet product being put on the racetrack, not just for next season, but for many seasons to come. All I can say is it's about time. <laughs> I've always wondered why RCR and Hendrick Motorsports are not more aligned. Uh, so to see them finally doing this, I think it makes sense. I think it's long overdue and, uh, uh, I'm glad to see that it's happening, and that's uh, that's all I'm really going to say about it. So, Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, I think it goes back to the one that really set the precedence was Toyota when they came in. I mean, that's how they came into the sport, saying that's what they wanted and that's what they did. And Ford kind of followed suit with that, like you said, of why it took Chevrolet so long to uh, to follow that. Uh, kind of interesting, and you wonder what the what the thought process was there. I know they had more teams at the time, but uh, not real sure. Uh, I think it is a good move, and I'll follow up on Mike's other part to that of new manufacturers here in a little bit as we get to another hot topic, but I, I do think it is a good move. Again, you're still competing with these other Chevrolet teams, but you're also having Chevrolets competing against the other manufacturers, which is very important. Okay, Andy, follow up. Yeah, I think that um, you know, I think this move really just falls in line uh, with like what Ford did with Roush Yates engines, uh, essentially Roush engines and Robert Yates racing engines merging, forming a singular engine department, which I felt like really strengthened their engine program, and I think you'll see the same here. Um, you know, ECR and Hendrick engines have certainly held their own and been very good in, in recent times, but you can only imagine that um, combining resources is going to make those engines in, in the Chevrolet program stronger. So um, certainly a good move for Team Chevy, if you will, and uh, I think that definitely step in the right direction to, you know, putting the best uh, products on the racetrack that they can. Okay, Mike, your thoughts? Well, that's really all there is to say about it. Uh, we're going to see how the on-track performance goes. Like uh, like Andy said, Hendrick and ECR have individually been putting out competitive engines. Arguably, Hendrick engines have been more successful over the past probably decade or so. Um, but, you know, the ECR engines are nothing to, to sneeze at either, especially when you get down into the Xfinity series. So I think there's only only things that can come for this are going to be good, good developments for uh, both the individual race teams as well as Chevrolet in general. I think I'm going to say ditto, ditto, and ditto, and leave it to Jay for the final comments. Well, Mike said it there. It's a, you know Hendrick has been a little bit ahead, but you, there's always something somebody else is going to look at from a different perspective. So adding that in is just going to make it stronger, and everybody benefits. And the better that each manufacturer elevates their game to be competitive against another, uh, just increases the overall interest across the board. So, uh, again, I see I see nothing but positives coming from it. Okay. Andy, what's our next hot topic? Yeah, news uh, came out this week that says Honda is currently not interested in coming to NASCAR. Okay, Mike, your thoughts about that subject? 
I was kind of equal parts surprised and disappointed on this, to be honest with you. Um, we talked about this maybe a month or two ago about speculating that Honda pulling out of IMSA with their Acura brand was setting the stage for getting into NASCAR, uh, probably with the Gen 7 car for the 2022 season. Um, so I'm a little surprised that maybe that wasn't the move that Honda was making. I'm obviously not privy to Honda's business position, whether they're financially having a tough time right now. Uh, I know auto manufacturing's taken a big hit because of COVID. They can't run the factory. So there may be some issues with the bottom line over at Honda to the point where maybe they would like to get into NASCAR and they pulled out of IMSA to set themselves up for that, but they looked at the numbers and they just couldn't make it work. I don't know. Uh, what I read from them, it didn't shut the door for future operations. It was just saying, you know, an at this time kind of a thing where they weren't in the position to join NASCAR. Disappointing. I would love to see another manufacturer, if not Honda, somebody else step up uh, to challenge Chevy, Toyota, and Ford. Um, but if it's not going to be Honda, hopefully somebody else will step up when the Gen 7 car comes for the 2022 season. I know who Jay would like to see step up. <laughs> Jay? Most certainly. I would love to see Mopar back, but uh, I'm with Mike on this. I, it was kind of surprising it's one of those things that when you first hear a rumor, you're like, okay, whatever, it's a rumor. But this one had so much steam behind it with the next-gen car coming out now in 2022 and, and NASCAR's goal of making it cheaper and, and uh, easier for car owners as well as manufacturers to come into the sport that that just had so much steam. Uh, it is really surprising to see it. Not, not that they closed the door completely, like he said, but – that it's not right now. And I really thought it was, I, I, I kind of thought that might be one of the next big things we had to talk about here on the show was that new manufacturer. So uh, I have never given hope up on Dodge itself, but again, I'm also realistic and it, and I would like to see another manufacturer, whether it is Dodge or not. Uh, Honda wouldn't have, wasn't my number one choice, but I was interested and would like to see it just as I was when Toyota, I know there were a lot of people that were so against Toyota coming in uh, I was one that I think it was a good thing, and I think it was good for the sport. Mentioned Chevrolet combining their engine program now. It may have taken a little while, but it ups every part of every part every person's game um, to have that top competition that they got to step up to. So I see it as a good thing. So I was a little disappointed by this news. Okay, uh, I you know. We we were all hyped up. We we thought another manufacturer was coming in. NASCAR was been saying that another manufacturer was coming in. Uh, so it is disappointing when you hear that this particular manufacturer has decided not to come in. Uh, but now it makes me wonder. Well, who is the other manufacturer that they're thinking about uh, is going to come into NASCAR? Um, but uh, you know that takes time. At this point, I don't expect any new manufacturers for 2021. Uh, at the earliest, it would be 2022, uh, especially with nothing announced up to this point. Uh, but, Andy, what, do you, what are your thoughts about this? Yeah, I really thought with the, the next-gen car in 2022 that you'd probably see a new manufacturer come in. But I think you, you have to consider what the um, pandemic this year has done um, to, mm -hmm. to many businesses and manufacturers. And I can only speculate that with that going on, it probably just wasn't a good time to try to start up a NASCAR program. So um, I think it's fair to say that uh, you probably will see Honda in the sport eventually. It just won't be right off. And maybe 
you know, for a t- for a, a manufacturer like that, it's better to get established uh, once the the new car is already established. Once NASCAR has that completely figured out, maybe that's the time to try to get involved in the next you know three to five years. I'm not sure, but yeah, it would be good to see another manufacturer. I certainly enjoyed the days when we had Pontiac, Chevy, Dodge, and Ford, and uh, I know that's a long time ago now, but. Um, you know, certainly was nice to have it, you know, a good mix of manufacturers and, you know, distinct looking race cars. So it would be kind of fun to get back to that. And certainly at least a fourth and maybe even a fifth manufacturer someday would, uh, would be a good thing. So hopefully that happens, but yeah, obviously nothing changes next year. And uh, like you said, Sharon, I, I think at this point, um, a new manufacturer would probably have already had to say something if they were coming in for 22. So it may take a couple three years, but um, I'm sure we'll see somebody new come into the sport eventually. Okay, Mike, your follow-up? Yeah, I'm really intrigued about who this other manufacturer that's been teased is. Uh, it may be that Honda was going to be that other manufacturer, and they've since backed out, and that tease has kind of fizzled out. Or maybe there is another manufacturer out there. Everyone kind of assumed that it was going to be Honda just because they're the strongest brand, you know, national market brand that is not currently participating in NASCAR, but maybe there's a European auto manufacturer that's looking to to maybe make an entry in here. I don't know. Um, We were, like I said, the assumption was Honda, but there are other manufacturers out there in various states of financial strength. So maybe there, uh, maybe there is somebody BMW or Audi or someone uh, like that looking to make an entry in the NASCAR. We'll have to see if not this year or next year, what happens. Okay, Jay, your follow-up. Well, again, there's always still that hope, as well as Dodge being the one, uh, being that they are now owned by Fiat. But uh, that one just didn't have any kind of steam like Honda did. So I get the feeling it was kind of Honda, and for whatever reason, you know, again, the pandemic obviously has wreaked havoc on everybody and everything this year, that maybe that has put their uh, plans on hold, if not shut them down completely. But uh, I really do think it was Honda that was being referenced in all that, and it's just not coming to fruition for whatever the reason. So hopefully another one is one to step up, and I'll be pleasantly surprised when that case comes, especially if it happens to be Dodge. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't have too much to add here, so Andy, I'll go to you for your thought, final thoughts. Uh, I'm good. I do not have follow-up on this one. Okay, that means, Mike, you bring up the next top topic. All right, I'm going to caveat this. I'm presenting this with my tongue firmly lodged in my cheek, so nobody get mad for what I'm about to say. <laughs> Here we go. SRX, the senior citizen racing experience, has made another trip to Jurassic Park and pulled out a dinosaur. And they announced today <laughs> that former NASCAR champion and Chase Elliott's dad, Bill Elliott will be competing in SRX. Okay, Jay, your thoughts? I actually, I think, had this third on my list of topics to bring up, but I knew Mike would at some point, so I was kind of holding off on it to let him introduce it for that reason. Um, It's one of those things, again, that right now with everybody's schedule, we know that we talk about the Cup Series schedule already being very packed of the opportunity. So I think the way they're going about it, at least in this initial year, you're bringing in some names that 
even if you're a new fan, you're going to recognize as part of history. If you were a fan back in the day, it's going to bring back that nostalgia. So, uh, you know, that's the way things are working. I'm excited about it. I think Bill Elliott was a great racer. It'd be interesting to see if they're doing this on dirt of how that plays out. I know he's done some dirt racing, but uh, certainly not been as of recent or uh, his forte at this point. But I, th- I think it's going to be interesting. I would like to see a couple other uh, drivers myself be in there, but I- I'm still happy with with the names they are coming with. So uh, I was kind of Mike kind of got it in my head with the whole Jeff Gordon thing. I'm being a fan of his when I started getting into NASCAR. Uh, I still have a couple of slots left. I think they got four, four more or five more uh, drivers to announce. So I still have that hope, and <laughs> maybe he'll be in a dodge on the dirt. I don't know. Um, We'll have to wait and see on that, but I think it's a great a great name to add to that list. I really do. Okay, Andy, your thoughts? Well, this one at least isn't too far-fetched. I mean, I think Bill ran an Xfinity car on a road course uh, a couple years ago, so he's not too, too far removed from driving. So um, it'll be pretty cool to see him out there, honestly. I mean, uh, we all know how good Bill was back in the day, so – I'm excited about this one and uh, looking forward to seeing what he can do. I actually think that he might be able to be one of the more competitive ones uh, on the track next year. So it should be fun. Okay. I think this is a great idea at probably a not so great time. Um, With the pandemic, I'm sure it's wreaked havoc on a lot of uh, people's thoughts and ideas of what they might do in addition to their Avon career. Uh, keep in mind, this is a series that's just going to run six races, uh, so it's not a long, long uh, term uh, commitment for a lot of these guys. But uh, they had to wait for the schedule to come out to know whether or not there'd be any conflicts in what that schedule might be in order to make a decision to be in the SRX. So I, you know, in spite of all of that. I really am not disappointed with the driver lineup that they have so far. I think it's pretty cool when you think about Tony Kanaan racing with uh, Tony Stewart and Bill Elliott and and uh, some of these other drivers that they've mentioned here. Um, I think, is Bobby Labonte one of the drivers? I think I remember hearing that. He, he is, um, yeah. Yeah, Bobby Labonte. Yeah, I think that's going to be fantastic to watch. Uh, so... Uh, even though the timing might be off for some of the other drivers that we might like to see uh, race in this series, uh, I, I just think that uh, I think the driver lineup as it stands is going to be a fun series to watch, especially for the six races that they have scheduled. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I might be a little disappointed that we don't have some of the younger guys in there uh, and it's coming a senior citizen. <laughs> series, as Mike calls it, Um, but we're talking about some serious senior citizens here that are legends within the racing world, so I think it's going to be a fun series to watch, and that's just my two cents, so Mike, what are your thoughts? I'm going to be a little contrarian about this. I'm officially going to hit the worried button about SRX at this point. Mike. Yes. Yes. Mike, the Uh, contrarian? Hold on. Yeah, hold on. Let me, uh, I might make some noise here as I'm flipping through my uh, thesaurus. I got to look that word up. There you go. <laughs> All right. So, but 
here we are. It's you know pretty plugged in race fans. We know who most of these drivers are, except for Willie T. Ribs. Um, but you got to think you know, any fan who's under the age of thirty and doesn't religiously follow the sport, the driver lineup for SRX is a who's who of who. Uh, you know, these <laughs> most of the fans under thirty have never seen any of these guys on a racetrack unless you know, they're watching a replay or something like that. Um, you got to remember, IROC had legitimately the biggest names in the sport at the time, and they couldn't get anybody to show up to the races, and they couldn't get anyone to watch it on TV. I am really worried now that SRX, with the names that are currently attached to it, are not going to attract the kind of attention that's going to be necessary to get a fledgling series off the ground. And I understand there's conflicts with NASCAR Cup Series drivers and probably IndyCar and IMSA drivers as well regarding their commitments to their current series and whatnot to keep them from from being a part of SRX. I totally understand that. But from just the standpoint of looking at SRX on its own, the current driver lineup I don't see as something that's going to inspire new fans or casual fans who may or may not be motivated to watch a race to block out time in their schedule to watch this race, to see drivers they've really never heard of and look to be as old or older than their parents out there racing on a racetrack. Okay, Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, again, I'm one that likes to be positive, so I will say this while Mike (laughs) is being contrarian and kind of negative, I'll take the positive from it and say he's at least entertaining in how he goes about it with the who's who of who. So I'll give him props on that one as a, as a slogan. Um, again, the names are there. Yeah. And it's, it might not be that next generation or, or even the current generation that that's going to recognize those names, but to get it started, I think that's what they got to go with. And as they develop and can work in other drivers with the schedule, because there's some names there. We see, we've seen Matt Kenseth just come back, not have a full-time ride. Maybe he doesn't want one. But I think he's a name, again, not real far removed, Uh, maybe wishful thinking. But we may see Carl Edwards' name pop up. Greg Biffle has stated he carries his helmet with him. So, I mean, there are some names there, and that's just on the NASCAR side. Again, I'm not a big IndyCar uh, follower, but and we also may see some uh, up-and-coming dirt drivers uh, that get involved with it. So, Again, for this first year, I think the, with what they're doing is going to be okay to get it built up. And I understand what Mike's saying of, of the names to get it lifted off the ground. But as it develops, I think you might see a little bit of a shift in that. Uh, again, depending on the success of it and how it goes. I know they obviously they have a long-term plan, whether the schedule expands or they keep it as a 6-8 race deal. Um, we'll have to wait and see. But I think with that year in, year out, that we'll see that change. And maybe in the second or third year that they figure out how to work better with other series and, and, and that, that we can see some of the other current active names um, that we're expecting or want to see, as Mike said, those that are, that are young enough um, to get involved in it. Okay, Andy, I'm curious to know what your final thoughts are. Yeah, I do think you have to be a diehard you know that's been watching the sport for a long time to know who all these names are but I do think that you know most of these drivers were pretty big names at their time so is it mm-hmm. is it the seniors tour to a degree yeah it is <laughs> but um you know I do think that these are we're talking about some pretty big names here 
you know, and I, I do think that um, the series will probably evolve and, you know, maybe it'll turn into more of an IROC style where you have, you know, current drivers, um, current superstars from the present day. We may see some of that evolve into that as time goes on. But, um, you know, I do think for the most part, it is uh, some pretty big names here and, you know, drivers, I think that could still race and, and do a good job. So I, I do think that we have something to look forward to with this series for next year. Yeah, I agree. I think we still have something to look forward to. And uh, uh, I, I do understand your concern. It, it might not bring in the uh, younger generation of people. Uh, I, I do believe there are going to be some younger people that are going to be familiar with a lot of these names. Uh, those people that have had families that have followed racing over the years, uh, these names are going to be very familiar to them. Um and so, you know, it, it might be the Senior senior Citizens Series, um, but I, for one, will be out there watching it and looking forward to these races and to see what happens. And I hope it does evolve into a situation where we can get some younger people uh, involved in this series and that it's more than just six races uh, as as it kind of evolves. Uh, and I'm looking forward to that part of it as well, just to see how, how it does evolve. So, Mike, your final thoughts. Yeah, I hope I'm wrong. I know I've been really hard on SRX in this, in this segment here. So I, I, I hope they're successful. If for no other reason, the more racing we've got out there and the broader opportunities we've got for people to get involved, either as a fan or a participant, I'm all for it. So I hope SRX takes off. I hope, you know, the kids want to watch grandpa race. That'd be great. You know, whatever it takes. Uh, I hope this, I, I hope the series does take off and, and, and gains the amount of following that allows them to be financially viable to the point where they can, you know, they, they can keep racing long enough to maybe attract some of that talent. Um, so we'll see how it shakes out. Like we've said before, they've got a lot of big names behind the sport in terms of organization and management of it. So we're not talking about dumb guys here. We're talking about people who have been involved in racing and in the industry as a whole for decades. Um, so they're smarter than I am. Maybe not, you know, Jay Hoosman Cup level worth of organizational experience, but they got to be pretty close. So hopefully they're able to pull something off here. Speaking of Jay Hoosman Cup, uh, Jay, you're up next. You've got a quick topic for us that we can close out the show with. Well, I guess uh, being that today is the 1st of October, September has come and gone, and we have heard nothing, and I was trying to pull, pull something up here. Okay, I found it. Uh, Matt DiBenedetto and Bob Pockrist replying to somebody's tweet said, as I said this morning, if I get any info on a Penske decision on DiBenedetto and am confident to report, I will report. Just because there is a deadline in a contract doesn't mean a decision has to be 100% made or things can't be worked out beyond that deadline. But uh, it's kind of late in the game if his contract isn't going to be renewed for Matt. Okay, Andy, your thoughts about that? Yeah, I've heard some, you know, I've heard conflicting and seen conflicting info this week. I mean, you've seen he's going to return. You've seen Austin Chindrick's going to jump in the car. The fact is none of us really know yet. Um, I had also seen something about possibly the deadline having been extended one week, which would explain why mm-hmm. perhaps we haven't heard anything yet. So um, it's too soon to speculate. I think I will say this. Um, 
if for some reason they were to let Matty D go, I think that would be a pretty big disservice to him, letting him go so late in the year after many rides have already been taken. But that's just my thoughts on that. Um, you know, I think that if you're a fan of his, like Mike, there's still reason to be optimistic that he may return. Um, but I just haven't really seen any hard evidence either way to to really make a, a firm uh, opinion on that, but hopefully things work out and, and he can come back to that car because I do think he would have an even better 2021 than he has this year. Okay, Mike, as a huge Matty D fan, we're really curious to know your thoughts. I am nothing but an objective and impartial commentator on all things <laughs> motorsports. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I We haven't heard anything out of the Wood Brothers. I, you know, that's that's no secret, but you got to remember we didn't know Paul Menard was retiring until the Wood Brothers came out of nowhere last year and said not only is Paul retiring, but Matt DiBenedetto is going into the car. So they're a team that has already really successfully played those cards really close to the chest in recent memory. They may well already have a deal signed, and they're working on sponsorship or they're working on some other angle, or, hell, maybe they just want to have a big review reveal party. I don't know. Um, but – I'm going to be cautiously optimistic that Matt's going to be coming back to the car. Like Andy said, to cut him loose this late in the season, this is even later in the season than when he was like, oh, Levine family racing last year. Uh, to cut him loose this late in the season uh, would be a disservice to Matt DiBenedetto. And realistically, again, I'm probably a little bit biased because I'm a big Matt DiBenedetto fan. Not a, not a secret there. But <laughs> I think cutting Matt DiBenedetto loose and starting over again with a new driver who's never uh, raced in the Cup Series before, I think it would set Wood Brothers Racing back because the Benedetto has done pretty well in the 21 car. He's consistently running better than Menard did by a few positions each race in terms of average finish. Um, so the 21's on-track performance has been improving, and I think that has a lot to do with the team gelling together between Matt uh, gelling with the crew and whatnot and putting together some pretty good on-track performances. He just finished uh, second place this past weekend at Las Vegas. Um, so continuing to build on that I think would be a better recipe for longer-term success with Wood Brothers from a completely objective, non-biased point of view. Yeah, you know, I know when they put out statements like we expect to have a decision by the end of the month, it's usually a pretty fluid uh, statement because a lot can happen that can change that timeline. Obviously, uh, that's the case in this particular situation. Um, Honestly, I would be surprised – if the rumor that we heard that Austin Sindrick was going to be in that 21 car is what comes to pass. Uh, For all the reasons that we talked about right here on the show, uh, next year they're going to continue with the current uh, package uh, more or less. And uh, 2022, we're going to see a big change in the package. So I would think that a lot of these drivers that are looking to move up to NASCAR would kind of hesitate to go into a cup car um, in in the 2021 season. Um, it's not impossible. I mean, obviously we're going to see uh, some of the drivers do that uh, from time to time, even if it's on a part-time basis. But uh, a driver of the, of the caliber that Austin Sindrick is, um, 
and as much as I might like to see him be in that number twenty twenty one or in that number twenty one car, um, I I just think it would be more realistic that Matt Dipinadetto is the guy that's going to reach twenty twenty one car to the twenty one car um, for for next season. So I, I think I think the uh, unusual part of that whole rule. The rumor that's going on is Austin Cindric coming into that car. I think Austin Cindric's uh, best move is to stay into the Xfinity Series for next year and come into the Cup Series in the 2022 season. So, Jay, I want to know your thoughts. Well, they pretty much fall in line with yours there. Uh, and I know he wasn't specific, but Matt did say it was the team's option or the team's choice to pick up his option which normally when you have an option is a one-year extension. Don't know that to be true. It could be a two-year. And that might be where the holdup is if it was listed as a two- or three-year option that they want to cut it down to one because I, I could see Cindric coming up in 2022 once the new car comes up. So that might be where the possible delay and holdup is. Um, I, I have every – to me, it, it only makes sense, especially if it is a one-year option – what they've built, he made, Matt DiBenedetto made the playoffs this year, has come so close to getting that first victory that for one more year to continue to build on that. And if he knows it's the one-year option, that gives him the opportunity to then look forward for his career of 2021, or, uh, yeah, 2022, um, knowing that that is his year um, before being replaced by Matt Sindri, or Austin Sindrick combined the two there. So to me, that only makes sense. And, and I think it makes sense as much as, you know, Austin may be ready to move up of staying in that Xfinity series for one more year, going along with the Ford development program that we talked about the other night. Uh, to me, it all just makes that much sense. But again, we're not involved with the, the negotiations and the contracts and the sponsors and everything else. So we'll have to wait, I guess, another week or so to, to wait and see. Okay, Andy, follow up. Uh, no, I, I don't think I do. Um, like I said, you know, I think it's it's um, kind of it's really hard to really make a a guess on what's going to happen there. But um, I, I honestly think that it's probably fifty-fifty at this point, and um, I guess hopefully we'll, especially for Maddie B's sake, hopefully you know they figure something out in, in the next week or two, and they can get things squared away for next year. Okay, Mike, your follow-up. The only follow-up I have is uh, the terrifying mental image I just got of Matt Sindrick, who is a six-foot-nine tall, <laughs> as wide as he, you know, as wide as he is tall, Jack uh, individual, uh, who may also be a recurring side character on Game of Thrones, is uh, is probably who Matt Sindrick is. <laughs> okay, I don't really have a follow-up. So Jay, what's your final thought? I, I got nothing after that. <laughs> got him. <laughs> Jay, speechless. Uh, mark that on the calendar. Okay. <laughs> okay, let's go ahead and go into our roundtable then, and uh, we'll we'll uh, close out the show. So, uh, Jay, can let's start with you on the closeout. All right. Uh, you can follow me on uh, Michael Hoosman on Facebook, Mopar MJ8 on Twitter and Instagram, 
can't really say about this weekend because it's kind of wide open yet. A lot of big races going on in, our, in, our, in my neighborhood anyway. Uh, you mentioned Talladega. It's NASCAR weekend. The Talladega short track, the Hornet's Nest is running. Greenville Speedway, about three hours west in Mississippi, is running the Gumbo Nationals, a big event where the Lucas Oil Comp Cam's uh, Super Late Model Series will be. So, like I said, I don't have any concrete plans yet, but I will say this. I'm looking forward to working with Stan for Mike and Andy, if you haven't met him yet. I haven't either, but the newest member of our fan for racing blog radio uh, crew here. <sighs> okay. Uh, let's go to Mike next. Yeah, it's uh, Mike underscore Rizal on Twitter. Uh, my Facebook and days apparently are over, so it's just going to be, you want to get to me, uh, you're going to have to talk to me on Twitter. Um, the, uh, I'm, I'm coming up on about a three-week stretch worth of work here, so I'm not sure how many um, how many chats and radio shows I'll be able to make in that three-week stretch. We'll kind of play it by ear on that one. Hopefully, you can hear from me more than uh, more than once or twice. Um, one more quick plug: since it's that time of the night, don't forget to get your votes in for the most popular driver. One vote per series, per driver, per day. Votes count double if you share them on Facebook or Twitter. Vote for Matt Benedetto for the Cup Series. That's all I got. Okay, Andy. And uh, SHR1498 fan on uh, Twitter, and I'll be around all weekend, obviously, uh, three races at Talladega, and um, I'll probably be in the chat if anyone's around for that. So looking forward to it. Obviously, uh, we know how super speedway racing can go. It's always pretty crazy, so it should be a fun one. All right. Uh, I am Dan for Racing Sites on Twitter, Dan for Racing Blog and Radio elsewhere, including com our website. I do have another cash or pass article here from Owen that we'll be putting out. Uh, I know uh, Sam is uh, continuing to do the recaps uh, for the Cup Series every week. Uh, I don't know if you guys are doing any other of the uh, uh, drivers, but I'm hoping uh, against hope that maybe tomorrow I can get my Martin Truex Jr. article uh, completed uh, and, and get that out. Um, and uh, I, I do want to do a shout out to all of our listeners for tuning in uh, Monday night. Uh, uh, we do have a guest. Uh, Joe Graff Jr. is returning back on the show this Monday night. He went from doing the first, uh, I mean, the last uh, Monday of the month uh, to the first Monday of the month. So he'll be on uh, Monday night show at 9 o'clock, and uh, we're definitely looking forward to having Joe on the show. Uh, and then, of course, we'll be doing the preview show on Thursday night. Uh, I don't think there's any conflicts there. Nope. Uh, so we'll, we'll be back on there next Thursday night as well, starting at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, of course, NASCAR Hot Topics will be 10 o'clock on both of those nights. So, uh, again, a big shout-out and thank you to our listeners. We appreciate each and every one of you. And uh, with that, guys, I think we're ready to call it a night. Have a good night. Have a good one. Good night. Good night, everybody.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.